Hello and welcome to episode 71 of Humans of Magic, the podcast that gets deep and personal with your favorite Magic the Gathering personalities. I'm your host, James Sue. Today's guest is Austin Bursevich. Austin was recently banned by Wizards of the Coast from competitive play and his Magic the Gathering Magic Arena accounts for revealing information that was considered confidential. There are many ways to describe the situation, but one common description I have seen and heard is that Austin is a whistleblower who revealed information that would disadvantage certain Magic players, and he felt responsible or compelled to divulge information. And you'll hear his firsthand account in this episode. We recorded the episode on May 31st, 2020. And at the time of this release, Austin is still banned from competitive play. So it's definitely a very topical subject. And for Humans and Magic, we don't typically do a lot of these. So this one is definitely special in that sense. Before we dive into the interview, I want to share a few points about this episode in particular that may help to set the background and context of the conversation. First of all, Austin did not invite himself to the Humans of Magic podcast. In fact, I can't remember the last time someone invited themselves or asked me to, and I actually accepted such a request. I typically invite guests who scratch my own intellectual curiosity. In Austin's case, his ban triggered such an amount of discussion within my circles that I basically wanted to learn more about it. So I I was the one who reached out to Austin and requested that we talk. Secondly, I try to keep an open mind as I approach these interviews. I'm not a trained journalist. I'm far from perfect in this department, but I try to avoid asking leading questions. I try to let the guests expand and pontificate on things as they see fit. In other words, I don't have a conclusion in mind as I conduct the interviews. I'm perfectly happy going wherever the conversation happens to go. I typically avoid grilling the guests or putting them in uncomfortable spots because I do personally believe that a relaxed guest leads to better lines of questioning and allows them to open up to a greater degree. Third, this is more of a worldview that I try to apply to my projects, which includes Humans and Magic and otherwise. Hearing the account of an event or incident from someone's direct point of view is valuable. My worldview is come to your own conclusions, keep an open mind, and think critically. That's the only thing I ask from you as you listen to this episode. Last but not least, I believe that there are no heroes or villains in the real world, only people with imperfections. The imperfections make people interesting, And they make conversations interesting. All right, preamble over. Let's get right into it. This is Humans of Magic with Austin Bursevich.
Okay, so today on Humans and Magic, we are here with the number one ELO-rated MTG player in the world, father of three kids, and man of the hour, Austin Bursevich. Austin, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing okay, but I understand that this is probably a tough time for you, at, at least in the in, in the magic sphere of things, would you say? Yeah. Uh, the last the last week or two have been a little rough, but before that, things were going well. Yeah, we'll get into all of that stuff. But first things first, I wanted to know how hard was it to be the number one ELO rated MTG player in the world? Like, I just can't even fathom that. Like, did you did you just basically not lose a match against anybody that was a one percent top percentile Magic player for the past two years? Like, how does that work? Well, it's yeah, it's yeah, somewhat similar to that, but it's just a lot of luck. I I was already pretty high rated just from my past results of it only counts Grand Prix and Pro Tours in the rating and um I think I was around somewhere between 1900 and 2000, somewhere in there. And then my last four tournaments, I just I mean, I, I won a Grand Prix where I only lost one time, so I went 15 and 1 and my rating skyrocketed to 2000 something and then um, the next tournament I played was the pro tour where I made top eight and started 13 and one or something. I think I went 13, one and two into the top eight and then lost there. So I've, my record was 28 and three over those two tournaments. And I was like in the top five. And then, um, some of the people at the top just fell because they were playing the arena mythic championships or other grand prix. And from there, um, yeah, I played two more tournaments, a uh, grand prix in Austin where I got 17th and lost, I think three times. And then, the last RPT, where I also made top eight. So it's just four tournaments in a row where my total record was 50 wins and 10 losses. And that was good enough to push me to number one. Yeah, so in a hypothetical world where you're back in competitive magic and the paper events are firing again, does that mean if you're in that situation that you would just not play them anymore? Because <laughs> I remember like back in the day, like, you know, there'd be people with high elos and then they just, they just don't want to play any matches because like if they... If, if, if God forbid they actually dropped a match, they, they would just, just be way down. Like, I don't know if that stuff matters to you or not. No, it's funny because that used to be a big deal because they would give give invites away for the top 50 or top 100. It, it changed. And that used to be how they determined buys at Grand Prix. But for that exact reason you're talking about where people would want to not play more Magic, they went away from it and, um, and now use Planeswalker points, which are also going away. But anyway, that, um, that kind of cease to exist as a thing specifically because people would sit on their rating so i was not planning to do that at all of course but i do joke about it that i would maybe i'll retire on top but it's always changing and people will always jump me i mean there's people like alan Wu, my teammate is only 30 points behind me and you know he was number one before the last couple of tournaments and i just happened to jump him when he had a bad grand prix so if i do sit on it it's not like oh, i'm gonna stay number one forever and there's really no no reward or benefit except to be able to show your parents and tell everyone I'm number one in the world, but it really doesn't really doesn't mean that much. <laughs> yeah. And I know that this interview is going to be mostly about you and I want to keep it that way, but because you mentioned his name, like I want to ask you, how is Alan Wu so good at magic? Because he is just, whenever I see him, I saw him play last year and I, I've seen him, I follow him on the magic circuit as well. It's just like, I follow you. It's like, how, how does he do all these things? And he's also a really good writer too. So like, what's his secret? 
Yeah, I don't want to speak for him exactly because I, I haven't even actually known him for that long. We just became friends probably last year at some point. But um, from the time I've spent with him, he's just um, he's just extremely extremely intelligent in general. But he also he also approaches the game from the right way. Once he started to get good, he kind of formed um, a process for himself and to try to help with the team as well. But something about just um, the way that he he approaches like the math in the game. He runs like these weird simulations to look at numbers and he's always, he's always focusing on what he does wrong to try to make sure he doesn't do the the same thing wrong again, which, you know, everyone talks about that. You don't want to make the same mistakes and you got to learn from your mistakes, but somehow he, he actually gets it done because I, I struggle with that. I mean, I'll make the same mistake of forgetting my creature had damage on it and moving an equipment over. Like I still do stuff like that when I've done it 50 times, but once he does something wrong and he convinces himself not to, it, it seems like these days he's just making very few mistakes. And with all of the numbers stuff he's got down as well, it's, it's a pretty good recipe for playing really, really well all the time. Yeah. What does a day in your life look like these days? I know it's been a little bit strange over the past week or so because of your situation with Watsi, and we'll definitely get into that. But just in general, I want to get a sense for, you know, how are things in the house during pandemic times? How are you feeling these days in general? Yeah, so I'm feeling I'm feeling well, a little a little bit tired, but um, we're finally starting to to come out of it. Uh, since the pandemic started, I I kind of just had to let my work and then magic take a back seat because well work was work was kind of uh, slowing down to a halt anyway but um but my wife was still working she she works with kids and uh doing speech therapy she had tons of you know tons of zoom meetings and stuff going on all the time so i'm kind of in charge of watching the girls during the week and um and yeah it's a lot so you have you have three girls is it yeah, I have three girls. I was going to say, I learned that um, taking care of three young girls is much harder than any full-time job I've had. So um, I, really appreciate, I really appreciate what my wife does and what you know anyone who stays home with kids does more than, more than I ever knew before, before this COVID thing happened. But yeah, I mean, just a lot of taking the kids for walks because we couldn't really leave the house and then finding stuff to do with, with my older kids older daughter she's she's six and in kindergarten so she was she was doing homeschool but it would only be about like an hour a day of that and then when the little girls were were napping we try to get it to where me and uh, me and mary can uh either play animal crossing or zelda ocarina of time and then yeah at night when my wife was back we would we started watching avatar the last airbender with with mary and we all love that i had never seen it before so that was one thing to fill our time but yeah just a lot of hanging out at the house going for walks playing games, watching TV. That's really all we've been doing. Is that sort of how you, you grew up as well, just playing games and, and that kind of thing? Like, were you competitive? You had mentioned before we started recording that you have, uh, you have some brothers, right? So maybe we can talk a bit about your, a little bit about your family background, if you don't mind. Yeah, sure. So I would say yes. Uh, growing up, definitely played a lot of games and was always extremely competitive. I have, I have two brothers uh, one is three years older than me, and the other one's about three years younger. So I'm in the middle. And whenever I was, yeah, whenever I was really young, I can remember always 
being involved with games. Maybe when I was four or five years old, my dad used to joke about I would watch like baseball games and tell him what was happening in like Major League Baseball games. And I mean, I don't even care about baseball right now. So I thought that was weird. But we're always outside playing football or baseball or war stuff with our, you know, our neighbors riding bikes around. But then by the time I was maybe eight, nine, ten, we did start to play different video games we got our first sega or n64 and we played all the games there are and then we found pokemon cards and then started playing Yu-Gi-Oh! and then eventually got into magic but yeah ever since i was little it was sports and games and always competing i played sports all through middle school all the different soccer football basketball baseball played all that and then yeah at the same time played console pc games magic poker so I've, I've always been competitive and in all different types of games and competitions got it and where in the u.s did you grow up is it close to where you are now yeah so i grew up in baton rouge louisiana and i now live in houston texas which is maybe a four hour drive away but um I, I grew up in baton rouge went to catholic school there went to a catholic high school and then i went to lsu for college which is also in baton rouge louisiana state university and then when I was maybe 22 or 23, like five years ago, I moved. Uh, I moved to Houston for for work, and we've been here since. But we're considering moving back to to Baton Rouge in a few months here, and I think that's what we're gonna do. Is it because of family reasons and work reasons, or a combination? Yeah, a combination of um, a lot of our friends, you know, are still in Baton Rouge, and some of them are starting to have kids, and then my parents still live there. And my brothers are both close to there too. And then we just we just don't like Houston that much. And the reason I was here was because of my job. But the company that I had been working for is, is probably just shutting down for good. So we figured now's a good time as ever to just go to Baton Rouge if we're ever going to do it. So we considered maybe looking at even other places. Um, my wife's sister live, lives in Denver and she just had a baby. And, you know, we really like it there. But – um. But for now, we're probably just going to rent a house in Baton Rouge and plan to move there. But we'll see. Yeah. What is or what was your, your day job? Like, what was it related to what you studied in school? Yeah. So when I went to college, um, I, I decided I was going to go for civil engineering. You know, I went and tested out of classes and then showed up. And I'm in, like, calculus and physics, too, and all this stuff. And I'm just, like, not going to class and barely doing <laughs> Barely doing my homework, and it's like I had a I had a scholarship for I think it was called like National Society of High School Scholars or something. But also in Louisiana, you get something called TOPS, which is you know if you have a certain GPA in high school, you get uh, that they'll pay for your college as long as you get a good enough ACT score as well. I know most places take the SAT, but we take the ACT there. And anyway, I had both of those things, so they were paying for it, and I was getting like extra money even because of the scholarship, but I had to keep like a 3.0 or 3.5 and the first semester I got like a 2.5 or something and just lost my, lost my scholarship. And then I was just like, this is just silly. Like I could have just signed up for art, fine arts or something and not tested out of classes. And I could have just been getting right. a 4.0 and then kept my scholarship. So I, I was just playing too much magic and poker and didn't care enough. So I ended up like not even going back um, after like my third semester and then I, I came back again, but switched to business. Mm -hmm. And from there I was in school for like another year, but 
somewhere around that time we found out we were having our, our first daughter, um, Mary, and I decided to um, to go to this trade school for for project managing, planning and scheduling, estimating, and um, and that took a year and a half. But when I finished that, I got this job in Houston as a as an estimator, and then moved up to project manager at that company. And then from there, I, I moved to a sister company where I basically became like the VP of operations. It was a, a smaller company, and I started off as just a, a shipping manager, but then I started doing inside sales, and I was kind of running a lot of the, the stuff from inside of the company. So that was really great, but then, um, yeah, COVID just kind of mm-hmm. took us down. Yeah. No, I mean, it's always good to be in those small situations. I mean, you or small, small, comp- smaller companies that are rising, right? It sounds like you were kind yes. of a rising star and you grew along with the company, right? Yeah, it was, it was really great. When I started, we had just, um, just me and, and one other guy in the warehouse. But then by the time, you know, a few months ago, we had up to seven or eight people working in the warehouse and back in, uh, in Louisiana where the main office was, they had grown by a few people as well. We had more salespeople and we were really growing, but yeah, it was in the, you know, oil field upstream industry and <clears throat> with COVID it, it kind of took a nosedive. Oh yeah. So going back a little bit, were you always a smart kid in high school? That's sort of what I'm inferring is that like, did you have straight A's in, in school, like heading into college and all that? Yeah. So it's funny because I, People like when I was in fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade, even in high school, they would joke and say like, oh, Austin's so smart. He's a genius and doesn't have to study or whatever. But I never I, I mean, I was in school with people that were what I considered much smarter than me. But um, I think I just always had a good sense of like numbers and math stuff and science and then just kind of common sense stuff. I, I kind of thought I was above everyone else on. But as far as like just memorizing a bunch of stuff and being like the greatest student and also being able to write and all these other things that are important for intelligence. You know, I have lots of areas where I I really think I struggle. So I wouldn't say I'm like some genius or anything, but, um, I had really bad ADHD. I still do. I have really bad ADHD. And when I was a kid, I didn't know that. So, I mean, I remember being like fifth grade or fourth or fifth grade I, like my mom thought it was like not real. Like she, like I didn't even know it was a thing, of course. But the my, I have a distinct memory of her like saying like it's just like a made up thing or whatever. But by the time I was in like high school as like a junior, and I thought I read about it and heard people have it, I'm like I'm pretty positive I have this. And I started looking at the symptoms. I'm like oh my god. Like I I'm like every single one is like exactly describes me. So. I eventually went and saw a doctor and got prescribed to medicine. And I mean, it helped me tremendously by the time I was probably almost 18 before I ever started taking it. So all those years, you know, I was, I was not turning in homework. I was unorganized, couldn't focus, but, but yeah, as far as always being smart, I think I would say yes. And most people would say yes. Where you have like a lot of common sense or I I don't know if you would call it street smarts, but it sounds like you knew like how to, how to get good grades and how to how to work the system or whatever those systems might be, right? Yeah, exactly. I did I did know that stuff, and it was you know always looking to take shortcuts, and I would always be, you know, not focused on on school and do whatever I could to get by with as little as possible. And it it definitely cost me with some of the grades, but at, at the same time, you know, I easily met the GPA I needed in high school and got the 
grade on the ACT to get into college and then always trying to game the system, not go to class unless I have to, not do the homework unless it's for credit. But it started it started to catch up with me in, in calculus and physics too and stuff, like I said, because the, yeah. the teacher's like, you don't need to turn in your homework. It's not for points. But then I didn't know how to do the stuff and got to the exam. <laughs> <laughs> and I wasn't used to that. Did you have any favorite teachers in high school? Yeah, actually, I would say my favorite was um, Mr. Soley, my my physics teacher in senior year. I mean, it's, it's hard to even describe him. He's like larger than life, like six foot six, just like massive guy who has this crazy personality. He actually died, but he um, he was just like so sarcastic but you would never even like know it because he was always so serious and you couldn't even tell if he was like joking but he just loved science and loved physics and he, he was just awesome and I learned a lot but also it was just like so fun and he was just so crazy and hilarious it's it's crazy like when you have those really standout teachers like you realize how how unique they are and how I asked the question because I feel like a lot of us like the the teachers that we had in high school or at an earlier age they really, you know, they really set our path in some direction, even if we don't exactly know at the time, like, because, you know, if they, if they teach you something, you actually remember it, and you actually get interested in some of those subjects. So yeah, for sure. I'm sure that that happened to me in in a couple of different places. But to be fair, you know, I, I, my mind was always elsewhere. I'm yeah. thinking about magic while I'm in class or <laughs> poker, or halo or yeah. whatever it was. So yeah, uh, let's get into that. How did you first find magic? Wow. So I would say it was during sometime around Mirrodin or Kamigawa block when I first saw a magic card. And I had been I had been playing Yu-Gi-Oh for a couple of years. Um, my older brother uh, started playing and got me into it, showing me the cards. And we were buying cards and building decks. And then a local shop called Slam and Sam's, five minutes from our house, um, had Yu-Gi-Oh tournaments. And we would go there and there was a group of maybe 30, 40 people. And I mean, that's the only thing I knew there wasn't bigger tournaments or anything, but we were still competitive and trying to play the best deck. I remember that. And I was maybe nine, 10, 11 years old at that time. And then that's where I found magic. You know, we showed up for a Yu-Gi-Oh tournament, but they were having like a magic PTQ. And I kind of remember someone playing like arc sloggers and whatever. So it was obviously like during mirrored in times. So, but, um, but yeah, about- that's when I learned. Yeah, what was it about Magic that might have stood out to you a little bit more than Yu-Gi-Oh? Because it sounds like you were already in, in Yu-Gi-Oh at the time. Yeah, honestly, I don't even know how the switch happened. It seemed like it happened so quickly. But in Yu-Gi-Oh, we were playing and we had a big collection and um, had all the decks and we were having fun playing the tournaments. But then when I found Magic, you know, we built some decks and we're playing for fun. But then I think there was another shop like called Gameworks close to our house, and I went there to draft one time. It was I think Ravnica had just come out, uh, City of Guilds, and that was the first time I'd ever drafted. And like in Yu-Gi-Oh, that we you never drafted; it was just basically all constructed stuff. And I just loved it. I mean, I had no idea what I was doing, but um, but then I started going every week. And then there was like these sealed leagues that we had, where you get a sealed deck and you play people, and like every week you get to add a pack. And I was doing that as well as drafting and. There were so many good Magic players that were also helpful to us when we first started and kind of took took me in to try to teach me some things. And then it just turned out that there were a lot of them were just really, really good at Magic as well as being nice and helpful. So 
I don't know, just kind of transitioned seamlessly, and I was just drafting a ton, and I was just kind of forgot about Yu-Gi-Oh. Yeah, so you were pretty young at the time, right? Were you like 12 or 13 or some, somewhere in that range? Yeah, so I was born in 92, and this was probably 2004, 2005 when I started, and those Ravnica drafts were, I guess, 2005 or, yeah, 2005. So I was 13 or so. Okay, so you, you've officially been playing Magic for over half your life now. Uh, yes, that's definitely true. Um, I'm just turned 20, just turned 28. So I've been playing probably close to 16 years. No, that's, that's amazing. And, uh, it sounds like you had a good community there. And do you remember what it was like in this early days for magic for you? Cause obviously we all have to kind of learn and we, we learn by failing or by losing. Right. But was there yep. a particular point where you really felt like you, like, what was your first level up moment? What was the first time you felt like, Hey, you know, I'm actually starting to get an understanding of this game did it come right away or did it take a lot of time and reps and effort it's kind of crazy because it happened i think really fast that i got a good grasp of the game compared to what i would expect and it was solely because i had so many good players around me that were helpful and you hear it a lot where people say if you want to get good you you know you should play with people better than you you should be the worst player in the room and all this stuff but i mean my first draft i was like taking Boros recruits like one ones for one and didn't know what I was doing and just forcing two color deck because I'm scared and don't know what I'm doing but after a month or two you know I had learned some of the basics and I was even starting to to win some matches in these drafts and have what I assume were okay looking decks and then somewhere pretty quickly I started to play magic online and that was that was a big deal so you know I was playing playing seal decks and drafts on magic online and there was um a kid who went to the same high school as us. I mean, I was probably only in eighth grade at the time, but my brother was like, yeah, he's a grade younger than me and he's pretty good. He knows a, he knows a lot more than we do. We should hang out with him. So it, his name was Kyle Babin a, about to rock on, um, on magic online. And I would go over to his house after school in ninth grade and we would play seal decks together. And I remember when we got our first extended deck, we got Teps, uh, like the perfect storm or whatever and extended where you would, you know, you would play Sins of the Past and Lotus Bloom, Mind's Desire, right around Time Spiral block. And um, and yeah, we just, from there, Kyle, and then this big group of people in, in Louisiana, Adam Simino, Cannon, Tannen, Grace, you probably, people probably know Tannen. He was yep, part of the Tannen's group. A, yeah, he's a mainstay in the community, yeah. Yep, so he was one of the first, yeah, he was one of the first people that introduced me to all these other guys. And, um, and anyway, they were all pretty good. A lot of them very good and had, you know, like Cannon was, he had played in a bunch of the first pro tours and he didn't care as much about magic anymore, but he lived with Adam and I would go over there and play. And I don't know, it wasn't one moment. Like I just, I feel like over a couple of years, I just got to a level where I was, you know, I was comfortable and think I was playing really well. And then, um, I was just consuming everything and you know, I'd read every article and watch all the pro tours. And I started going to all the PTQs and playing magic online every day. And just from playing so much, I got... I got pretty good, and somewhere in there, I, I joined the clan on on Magic Online. The OSIP drives me to school, and that had, at the time, um, you know, Brad Nelson, um, Owen Turtenwald, um, I think, like, Adam Yurchik, Brett Blackman, Trunks, like, a lot of really good players, and we, we would share ideas and decks in there, and that's another spot where I started to get a lot better by talking with those guys, and I would say the biggest actual level-up moment for me was when I started teaming with the um the TCG player slash Star City big team at the time like five or six years ago I uh, had four or five pro tours where I tested with you know twenty people and it was Seth Manfield 
Brad Nelson, Steve Rubin, Chris Vanell, BBD. Um, you know, I'm forgetting people in our team change. We, we had Andrea Mangucci on our team for most of those pro tours. Mm-hmm. But, um, but anyway, playing with those guys, you know, for a few weeks for every pro tour was, was a big deal and helped me a lot. Yeah. So if we go back to those early years when you were in high school, like at what point did magic just, magic just take over your life where you just didn't, I mean, maybe it did right away. Like how, how would you describe magic juxtaposed with your other things going on in your life in school at that point? Yeah, it's pretty crazy because it went through kind of like different flows for me, I would say. When when I was doing those first drafts, I remember playing a lot and caring a lot about Magic. But at the same time, I was still just being a kid and kind of keeping it on the side. Like, you know, I'm in 7th, 8th, ninth grade and my, my friends want to have sleepovers or we're going to like a dance party or whatever whatever we're doing in 7th, 8th, <laughs> yeah. ninth grade. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't even tell these people that I play Magic. Like I have no friends in my middle school that play Right. And um, I'm like embarrassed of it, I'm pretty sure, when I'm in like sixth grade. But then by the time I'm in high school and I'm in like maybe a sophomore or junior, I don't care anymore. Like I'm not embarrassed about it. And so at that point, somewhere in there, I know it's kind of taking over. Like I can't think about school stuff because I just want to go home and play like all the daily events and triple Q, whatever happens right when I get home from school. But at the same time, I was playing, was playing poker from a young age as well. And so I would always be playing like free rolls on full tilt and then built up a little bit of a bankroll when I'm still underage and then also playing other video games. Like I know when I was a sophomore, junior, I was playing a lot of Halo 3 with my brother and their friends, my little brother. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. It was never like it never actually completely took over for me, Mm -hmm. but I was it was always there and something I thought a lot about. It was just something competitive that you did. Yeah, exactly. And there would be stretches for like six months where maybe three to six months where I was playing a ton. And like I I loved a deck and I was just online playing the same deck in the same draft format or block constructed, whatever it was. And and then it would just kind of fade. There'd be like maybe six months to a year. I wouldn't even play that much. I might skip a whole format. There was two or three, maybe even four formats where I just like never drafted once because I just wasn't playing at the time. I was focused on something else. But for the most part, I was I was pretty into it, and it was the biggest thing for me. Yeah. So tracing back a bit, what do you think made you so competitive? Because, I mean, I think having two brothers is definitely a part of it. I can relate to that, uh, just having a brother myself. But can you remember how far back you were competing with them on things or competing with people? Like, do you think that's just sort of came naturally for you? Yeah, I would say that it's very likely that it just came naturally for me. It's something just probably that I was born with, something the way that my brain works. Because, I mean, I remember being however young, you know, playing sports like soccer, baseball. You know, I I wanted to win so badly. And, like, I I would be, like, frustrated if we lose. And I just cared so much about competing in anything. And it's like we always would get heated. It's it's partly my brothers, too. Like, we're playing games for fun, like whatever, Monopoly. And it's like I just want to win so badly that it's like – it just seems crazy when you look at it now, like people that get angry about these games, but it's just, I think it was just always competitive and I'm always looking for like something to be focus, focusing on, hyper-focusing, something to be getting better at and, you know, striving for, striving for getting as good as possible. That's just what I was always, I don't know. It's like with everything I pick up, it's always been like that. I'm just trying to become the best at whatever it is. And if not, it's like not that interesting to me. 
For sure. And obviously your brothers became less competitive than you in Magic the Gathering over time, right? Like did they start dropping off entirely as you got really into the competitive scene? Like how did that work? Yeah, that's a good question. So my my younger brother would actually come hang out with us at Slam and Sam's and play a little bit of Yu-Gi-Oh! And then we switched to Magic and he wasn't as into it, but he would come around every now and then. But I would say by the time I started to get serious in Magic, my little brother basically just didn't play and he was just focused on other stuff. So it was just me and my older brother. But when we would go around to the local PTQs and around that time of Ravnica, Time Spiral and stuff, he was competitive, but I think like, he always knew that I was better than him and I cared more. Like he, he was more focused on other stuff and we would talk about magic, but he just never really seemed to care to go for it as much. And so at some point, you know, our first Grand Prix we went to was in 2006, I think. And, and our dad drove us to it. And it was funny. We actually played in round two. It's like a thousand person tournament and we got paired in round two. <laughs> what are the chances, but, right? Yeah. yeah. But I had a really good deck and, and ended up beating him. And I, I went eight and one on, on day one. And, um, I don't know. I did poorly on day two. It was cold snap draft. Pretty hilarious. It was Ravnica seal deck, but then day two was cold snap draft, which is just uh, not a thing that happens anymore, but it had just come out the week before and I didn't even know what cold snap was, but I ended up getting a brand new thing guys. Let's play it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was, it was pretty crazy. Even the pros were like, wait, what it's cold. They didn't like a lot of them didn't even know. But, um, anyway, I got like 28th place in that one. And, um, and then from there, Maybe we played a couple more Grand Prix together, but then he just kind of faded away and didn't really care. And he kind of just collects cards and um and likes to get stuff signed by artists. And he's working on building a you know all foil Japanese cube for years now. And he was always kind of just like in the background, not really caring about competitively. But if I'm playing a tournament, he would be like so invested in it. You know, he would want to watch and multiple Grand Prix he would go to and just not even play. He would get cards signed and just hang out. And then PTQs, he would come and just like play for fun and play a deck that he felt like playing, but he didn't care. And he actually won a PTQ and then skipped the Pro Tour. And one of these where he didn't even care. But really? But, uh, wow. But yeah, I so would he's, kill for that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's not like he's not like he's terrible or anything, but you know, he just didn't ever practice or put time in. So he didn't play much over the years. But um but yeah, that's that's it basically. Oh, that's awesome that your older brother is like one of your biggest supporters, right? So like you guys yeah, have he's that always common been. language. Yeah. Before we go deeper and deeper into what's happening right now, I also want to get a sense for maybe your wife. Like, how did you guys, how did you guys meet? Like, at what point did this happen? Right? Like, did you guys grow up together? Like, how, did, how, what was that situation? Yeah, it's pretty crazy. We met in high school and we had actually met before, but didn't even know it because like in sixth or seventh grade, um, one of my friends from my middle school, Jared Zimmerman was his name. He took my wife to like some dance cotillion or something and she was his date and so i was with my mom in my mom's car and jared was with me and we went and picked up amy my wife from her house and then i met her then never talked to her for a few years but then the time i actually considered meeting her was when i was i think 15 in um our sophomore year of high school at an lsu football game through a, a mutual friend i was with my friend colin and you know, he was dating this girl, Kaylin, and that's where I met her at that game. And then, like, I don't know, we just started talking and texting. And then the next week, um, you know, we hung out again. And then from there, we started dating for almost all of high school. 
we were dating and then when we went went to college we sort of just like broke up and we're like you know we're just going to do our own thing and she joins a sorority and i'm just not going to class and playing poker and magic and traveling around being a clown but then you know we'd always keep coming back to each other and we were hanging out a lot and i had a feeling that we might get married one day um, when we were maybe in our second or third year of college. And then we found out she was, you know, she was pregnant with, with our first daughter. So then from there we started to, um, you know, we started to get more serious about things and that's when we decided we would probably get married and, and be together. And, uh, you know, I was, I was happy about it. So it, it would all worked out great. And then after Mary was born, we got married when she was maybe one or one and a half, so, somewhere in there. And then, um, yeah, we had a couple more daughters, and now we're still together and happy. That's that's awesome. It sounds like some things are just meant to be, right? For you guys, yeah, it's it crazy. Like that's the case. No, that's that's great. I wanted to talk about that because I, I know family is a big part of who you are, and and also I wanted to get a sense for how because honestly, before we talked today, I didn't know that you had your full time job as a you know doing what you do in in Houston. I just assumed that you were like somehow figuring out a way to do magic full time, like only playing magic, right? Or at least before this year. So at what point did you get really, really invested into magic? Because, you know, it was, I think it was last year or maybe the year before that you really started to, to break out on the scene as a, as a really, really good magic player. Not saying that you weren't before, but you were like kind of on the national radar at that point. So there must have been like a decision, conscious decision that you made or you made as a family to kind of go into magic or to invest more time into magic, right? So maybe explain that that process in, in those series of moments. Yeah, sure. So I've always kind of just been on and off. And, you know, I had my moments where I'd be invested for six months to 12 months. And I, I won a couple of PTQs back in the day. And I went to a few pro tours. I even skipped one or two from, you know, having stuff in school or I won one in Japan. And like something had just exploded over there right by my mom didn't want me to go and I was like doing other stuff and didn't even fight it. So, you know, I was, I was never really a professional or even going for it until recently. And, um, I had lost playing for top eight at pro tour fate reforged, which was a while ago. Now, um, I ended up getting like 16th place. I was, I was eight and on the first day and then just um, you know, it was three, three and one on the next day, having my winning in. And I had lethal on the board in game three and just like somehow missed it because of a, my life pad and really disastrous scenario where I end up losing and getting 16th. But that qualified me for the next pro tour. And then Brad Nelson and Chris Finnell and them, uh, approached me about joining their team. And, um, and I did that. And from there I hit like silver by going, um, 11 and five at the next pro tour, which qualified me for the next one. So I played a bunch of pro tours in a row, but I was at that point, I don't remember exactly where we were in our life and my job and stuff, but I still wasn't considering going full time unless I like somehow spiked and got platinum. I was just kind of, you know, keeping up with magic playing and I know I'm going to go practice and try my hardest at the pro tours. But, um, but yeah, I ended up not playing enough grand prix because I won the Pro Tours kind of at the end of the season. You know how it goes. If you if you win the or do well at the first Pro Tour of a season, it, you can kind of plan out your year. But instead, I ended up one point short of gold, and it was like I regret that I didn't I didn't even play the first couple of Pro Tours, and I didn't play Grand Prix, so I kind of blew it. 
by not playing and winning at the wrong time. So then I end up being silver, but they switch to cycles, and it's like I'm silver forever, so I get to play all these RPTQs. But I just kind of was off it and not playing a lot of Magic at the time and maybe playing poker and then started to get into the job and had Mary, whatever whatever year this was. I can't really remember. Well, this must have been like, what, 2015 or 2016? Because this was cons block, right? Yes, exactly. So cons, So yeah, we do – Mary is born in 2013. So we already – Mary is born. Oh gosh. Gotcha. And um, yeah. we get we get married in 20, 2015. So so yeah, it's around that time and I'm just kind of I'm going with the flow, playing magic as seriously as possible, but not even considering making it in a full-time thing. But um but somewhere somewhere in there I fall out and I'm not really playing for like a year. And then I just so happen to to play the close tournaments and I win a Star City Games Open that's in Dallas. I hadn't really played at all. And I just, I, I, I still watched magic all on the weekends. There's Twitch and there's, you know, grand prix coverage and star city coverage. So I'd been keeping up with, with that. And there was death shadow zoo thing that just came out and I played that deck and won that tournament. So that kind of got me like excited about magic a little bit, even though it didn't really mean much. You, you win a star city and I didn't really get anything for it besides the money. But then, um, a few months later, maybe it was even a year or more later, I had been playing a little bit more Magic, Magic Online, and just trying to kind of get back into it. And I, I ended up going to the Grand Prix in Dallas, and I won that Grand Prix with Blue White Control, where I hadn't really practiced at all. It was during the Hogak times, but again, I had been watching, and I just happened to win that win that tournament. And from there, um, I decided I would take the Pro Tour seriously, and tested a ton, and was excited about it, and then I drafted it hundred times, and went and made top eight. So that was the point when I made top eight of that pro tour. I was like, you know, there's the NPL and rivals now. It's been kind of, it's been kind of crazy. You're seeing that on the horizon, right? This is, this is the opportunity here. Yeah, exactly. And I, I don't recall exactly like when I do make top eight there, I, it was the last pro tour of that season and they had just announced like how rivals and the NPL work and go together and like it's points from this season so at the beginning of the season in that year nobody knew and this is something we can we can talk about later when we talk about you know op and everything but for those like six or seven months nobody knew what was going to happen like they're just people that were gold or platinum don't know what's going to happen to their benefits and we just don't know how to qualify for the npl and then they finally announced there's going to be a rivals league and this is how you qualify and it's just retroactive like the last few pro tours this is the season so i didn't have any points that i had no idea that was happening and I just so happened to qualify for the last Pro Tour. So those points just got deleted. Like I made top eight and it yeah. didn't even matter. They announced Rivals in MPL and how to get into it. And um, and I knew that in August they came out with the rules for the following season. It's going to be like a half season. And the way that you qualify is being in the top 12 challengers in either paper or arena – and then you'll get into rivals. And so you have 12 spots in paper. So it's really unlikely unless you have a really good tournament in one of the two RPTs. But it only it only took into account four tournaments, two RPTs and two PT finals. And I was qualified for the PT finals already because I, I top eighted that last Pro Tour. And so I knew going in that I had a big advantage because that means I'm also qualified for RPT2 because if you qualify for the final, it automatically qualifies you for that. So anyway, I'm qualified for almost every tournament, just the one Pro Tour final, the second one I'm not sure of yet. But I, I also feel like everyone is so disillusioned with you know, 
rivals and it's only 12 spots. Nobody's going to seriously go for it. But I talked to my wife about it and I had, I had just been streaming. That's one thing I didn't mention. I had, I had picked up streaming somewhere before, I think before the, the Oko pro tour. I don't recall exactly when I started sometime in the last year, but around a year ago I had started streaming. And so I'm playing a little bit more magic already. And I decided I would, um, I would go for it. You know, I'm going to go for rivals, which is a silly thing to say, but I'm going to practice really hard for the RPT. I joined, um, I joined this team, team 7% with Alan and everyone, and I'm going to draft a ton. I'm going to be streaming and working on magic. And I think that I have a good chance if I just have a good RPT and, um, and yeah, it's crazy. It worked out. I mean, I, I played hundreds of matches with, with blue white control leading up to the tournament. I drafted a ton and our team did a lot of good work. And, a few days before we find out that the Lotus Breach deck is busted, and um, I have this dilemma where I, I feel like I'm supposed to switch, but my my heart is telling me not to because I'm not going to play it, I'm not going to play it well enough. Classic dilemma. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so I, I ran it through a few leagues, and I'm going like three and two, and I can tell that it's busted. Like I know it's the best deck, and I know mm-hmm. that Blue White Control will struggle against it. And the only way I can possibly make it a, into a 40% matchup for me or something is by playing multiple damping spheres in my sideboard and pray that I draw one. And I was like, I really don't want to do that. But then I, you know, I, I've played in a lot of pro tours. I was on the team with Brad Nelson and, you know, thinking about metagames and everything, I, I knew that even though the deck was so good, it was not going to break 10%. And so like you can expect to play against it one time. Like it's not that big of a deal. But at the same time in this RPT, a lot of the best players are going to play it. And, you know, on day two, they're going to rise to the top. So you're going to have to play yeah. against it if you want to win the tournament and in the top eight and stuff. So I decided to play Damping Spheres but stick to blue-white, and it worked out. You know, I, yeah. I, I did well in Constructed, and um, and I'm happy that, that that was my decision. But then from there, they ended up, um, they ended up canceling the half season because of COVID, and they just kind of botched the whole thing and gave – rivals with zero points you know free free full seasons of rivals and that was that was a thing that i was kind of raising hell about but nobody else really cared about despite it being ridiculous and so i didn't really get much traction at all because all the people in rivals who have the big voices are not going to say anything because it it benefits most of them so that was a little bit unfortunate but yeah let's talk about that for a second because i i followed all of the the major magic events, uh, because for Carbo Live we did all the we helped with all the coverage. So I, I do remember seeing you on camera during all of those those matches, and I, I remember that's kind of when you got a little bit more. I don't know if notoriety is the right word, but like on Twitter, you were you were becoming more of a known person, and uh, you know with some of your feedback, and I think a lot of it was actually valid. What was the environment at that time for you? Just just a first hand account, because like like you said, there's there's pros who are who are incentivized not to speak out against what you're speaking out about, you know, and, and did you feel like you were like the only voice in the wilderness or, or what? Like, what, what was it? What did it feel like at that time? Cause honest, obviously you cut, you felt like you got the short end of the stick, but like retrace that and describe that part, that, that timeline for me. Yeah. So if we back up a little bit, it's kind of funny because when the NPL and rival stuff was all going down, I hadn't really been playing a lot and I was kind of out of the game, but there was a period where they announced the MPL and those 32 players or whatever it was had been silent on Twitter about it, but they had been like promoting arena and saying it was great and all this stuff. And everyone else in the background was like, what are they talking about? Like arena is kind of sucks. There's no tournaments and 
this was like at the you know a few years ago when arena wasn't getting big yet and everyone even like the pros that like it now are all everyone was kind of hating on it but then they just go boom MPL 10 million dollars esports you will know your name and everything and then all these platinums and people that got screwed are just like reeling like what is going on and i'm seeing all this from outside the game like wow this is terrible but a month or two goes by and they're still not saying anything and people like like sam black he would tweet like a blog about his thoughts on the npl and how they handle things and whenever he would do that i was taking the i would take that blog and I would respond and I would just at like magic esports, magic wizards, Elaine chase, just letting him know, like, this is what people think about it. Like, this is what's happening. And, and then eventually after four or five months passed, I had maybe added those accounts like 30 times on people's posts like that. Anytime I would see something like telling how they feel, I would do it because those, I don't know if they just like Sam and them didn't feel comfortable, like showing, but mm-hmm. I want them to sp- make sure they see it and see what people think about it. And then I started to get like a little more upset. Like it's been six months. This doesn't even affect me, but so many of my friends, like whoever, Ben Friedman, he was platinum. And like, he's just considering quitting magic because it just won't say anything. Like, can you please just say something? Like it's been six months. I know it's complicated, but you have to say something. And so that's when it started to form where people are like, you know, seeing me as this like heel or villain, because I guess because I'm like adding Elaine and the esports people, at p- with people's complaints or something and so they never answered me but then eventually they finally announced something and people were like joking like looks like all your work finally got something done or whatever but then you know at that time i maybe only had three four five six hundred followers on twitter a lot of people that know who i am from you know all these years i've been in magic but i'm never in the spotlight and it's like i basically have no voice and i'm not trying to have right. one you know i'm just laying low so to me it was nothing really but then whenever i I top aided that that Oko Pro Tour. Some people, some of my friends, you know, started to make jokes about it, like they don't want to at me on Twitter because I was, you know, I was pushing them and all this stuff. And then some other people were like complaining about me, saying I'm like rude or I'm an asshole online or whatever. I cheat at Magic, you know, just people like coming out with whatever they want to say. And so at that point, I started to respond, and people were. People were seeing me, I guess, as some sort of villain, but I never really saw it as that at the time. But then it just kept getting worse and worse because this RPT thing, like I, I top eight the RPT and it's still like they just they don't seem to listen to you unless you're in the the leagues. And then at the same time, the people in the leagues, like the rivals in MPL, just have these have these contracts and they have so much at stake that they're really hesitant to say anything on Twitter. And a lot of it is because not because they say it's not the contract. They just don't want to get involved. Like there's no upside Mm -hmm. in any of the arguments for them because people just attack them and yell at them no matter what. They only have something to lose basically. Yeah. Yeah. That and just for their sanity, like they don't want to get involved unless they, they really have to, because who wants to deal with like Twitter, even if you're right or, you know, it's just like, (laughs) might as well just stay away from it for them. But at the same time, like all of my friends, that are on my team and so many people are being affected by it. And it's like, we don't really have a good channel to, to talk about it. And so I'm on Twitter. Like when I, you know, when I feel something is not right or they could fix something, I'm going to, I'm going to tweet at those accounts and I'm going to let them know how I feel. And that's what they tell us to do. Like they say, tweet at magic esports or let magic esports know if you have feedback on this, when they come out with streams and stuff. So, you know, I've sent some emails to them too. And so have my friends, but I guess that's, that's what, really caused it was me 
me fighting so hard when they were silent during the MPL days. And then it's just kind of mm-hmm. grown with, you know, once I top eighted a few tournaments and then they just kind of were like, okay, those points don't matter. Now these points are canceled and they're consistently giving the preferential treatment to the rivals. And then it's like, anytime I bring something up, it seems like they want people that are in rivals or MPL want to like come and argue with something that has literally like nothing to do with what I'm saying. And they just disregard my argument and then they just, yeah. you know, go around t- doing the same thing, keeping it, keeping it how it is, where they just get to stay, stay at the top. So yeah, it's, it's frustrating. Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't equate this to be the, exactly the same thing. But um, for example, I I'm a huge fan of the legacy format. I know this is a format that the pros or folks as you don't really play because there's not there's not major events for these for these formats. But I really enjoy the format, and I would equate what you described to. People that play Legacy day in and day out probably have a better idea of the format than people that just play them when they're in PTs or whatever, right? Not to, not to yeah. dismiss um, you know the pros' opinions, but you can have a thousand people talk about how something is wrong with the Legacy format. But if Luis or Brian Kibler, <laughs> not to name drop, but just just hypothetical, no, example, that's, said something yeah, about if they said something about the Legacy format, then Wizards is going to be like, oh yeah, I'll get right on it, right? So. It's just, it's actually quite consistent with sort of even if you think about like format health and things outside of organized play, or I guess that's part of organized play too. Generally speaking, the majority, the mass opinion doesn't matter so much as just like the really top heavy opinions, or or in your case with OP, like with MPL, right? Absolutely, and what you're saying is exactly true. Like it's a joke that they say Kibler Google because when Kibler needs something, he just like tweets and then they come to the rescue but it's true i mean what lsv and kibler and you know now it's like anyone in the npl and anyone with a voice there's maybe 50 to 100 people it's probably croakies and the people with these big followings on twitter like there's there's a bunch from now saffron olive he can tweet something and they're gonna see it and people are gonna blow up about it so what they say holds so much more weight than the masses there can be yeah like you said a hundred people on twitter like me with 300 followers and it doesn't really matter what we say if if a few people at the top are saying something different or not saying anything at all it just seems like it it always does kind of get brushed aside and i mean i don't really know the answer to that but that's just kind of the way things have gone that's the direction it's it's more about your your following and what you can do for for magic arena and for wizards in the way that they see it than it is about you know fair competition and the you know the the pro tour and this brand or any, it's it's more about building your own brand than anything for Magic. They care a lot more about you know followers and getting new players. Yeah, and if we go down this timeline, and I, I know we're still not at present date, but I remember there being a major major announcement. This is before COVID nineteen about mm-hmm. you know the players tours and you know how things are going to be set up for twenty twenty. What were your feelings at that time? Because I remember that you had some some feedback for them at that time as well. So maybe you can just kind of go back in time and, and describe that as well. Yeah, so before COVID, the, the announcement that they made was in August about the half season and how it's going to work. And it was just like super high variance because it was only four tournaments but there was just a lot of stuff where it's like they don't really have it finalized but they act like they do and they just try to sneak sneak things in like like it was okay there was two rpts and two pt finals but we don't know the point system yet 
And it's like the first RPT is in two weeks and we don't even know how many points it gives or, or something like it was just insane. We don't know. I'm trying to plan my life around this half season and I'm sure the rivals in NPL really want to know because they have to like they need this information to know how much they should practice or whatever. It's just like information that's important. And this was in August when you came out with the announcement and now it's like almost January because the pro tour is coming up. So we need to know how many points these tournaments give. Well, they they say how much the RPT is. It looks normal fine we're gonna play it but then they announced that the pro tour final is gonna be like one-fifth of the points like it gives no points it's like you get two where at the rpt you would get 10 for the same record and it's like if you win the whole pt final you get like eight or ten points and the rpt is like 30 and the top eight at the rpt you know was like 18 but the final was like six or five mm-hmm. and so that was like, okay, I wish I would have known that before. And like, why is it lower? It seems like it's a prestigious event with only a hundred people, but then come to find out like rivals and NPL had been talking to them about it. Like, you know, we think that it's like double dipping and they give all this feedback, but we have no idea this is happening and we're just playing these tournaments and like they're discussing it with them. And it just seems crazy that there's so many changes that are happening like mid season. Okay. They're just going to announce the points are less for PT finals and they don't matter. And then there was a thing coming up where rivals are like talking in the discord about how they should be invited to the PT finals automatically. Cause you know, the rules in August said that they weren't, they were, they're not automatically qualified only the MPL grand prix winners. And then people who qualified by doing well at the RPT are in it, but they were like apparently fighting in the discord for it because they had all these reasons. It doesn't affect their race. And you know, it's there. There's no way they can take any challenger spots, but their race, you know, needs more tournaments because the, right now, the RPTs are their only shots if they don't qualify. So they only have two tournaments, and you know, it is a big deal because half their rivals, there was 32, I think, 16 of them are going to fall out, and they're just not a rival anymore, and they only have two tournaments in that season. But that's what they announced in August. Like that was, yeah, that was a high variance system, but we knew that you had to qualify for the final, and like everyone knew that. And when they got, you know, their invite or they got their special invites, a few people, like they signed a contract and they knew that's what it was. But then they're just in these discords changing things. And it's just, it's just frustrating that all the changes are beneficial to them. And the biggest thing is like, you know, when we bring it up, they just, I just get shushed. Nobody, nobody responds. They, they're just silent. And then if someone does come out in Rivals or MPL, they argue, like they argue something and they try to make some like excuse for it with, it's like you're they're not even looking at the main point of that. Like things just shouldn't change mid season net ever. Mm-hmm. And also their arguments are normally like also just kind of weak anyway. So I don't know. That's been a lot of the frustration <laughs> about it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I guess all this stuff was happening in these Discord chats with the MPLers and the rivals uh players. And, you know, this had been going on for a while. And so I assume that you knew about these Discords just because you knew these players were like it's not a, a completely a complete secret, right? Like there were things about these chats that were going out to people. And I, I'm a hundred percent sure, a million percent sure it wasn't just you that knew about these things. Like people were privy to this information, right? Yeah. So like it was actually from usually from like a few different people, but it was like just players that are on my, on my team or even some people that aren't on my team and just pros. Like it's coming from people that, that are close to the know, like, you know, it's nobody directly in the leagues, but it's a lot of their close friends or just people that, 
you know, have been platinum or have been gold and have been in the pro scene for a while, they would come and tell us like, hey, I just heard there's going to be this. Or, you know, I heard that the rivals have been arguing for this in their discord and we would just start talking about it. And there's like 50 people on my team and we all know, like everyone now knows that they're the rivals are arguing for trying to get pt Mm -hmm. finals invites so we're like okay can we post about it on twitter and like maybe some people make some jokes because they're frustrated and then some of the rivals start jumping in and arguing about it so we're like okay now it's fair game and then i get involved but um but yeah like basically they can by by arguing about it they confirm that that it's true yeah exactly like i never i have not not one time have i ever seen a, a screenshot of the discord I've never seen a message from the Discord. I've never seen any official documents. Like I have not seen anything that goes on in there. And everyone in, involved, I'm sh- does have an NDA, but I don't know who's in the Discords and who isn't. I assume it's all of MPL and Rivals and some members of Wizards Esports. I don't know who. That's kind of my understanding. But again, I, like none of this stuff is like, oh, someone inside is like some rival or MPL, like LSV or whoever's like sending me a screenshot of this. Like that's not what's happening. I'm just hearing it from people who heard it from their close friend. Like someone on my team hears it from someone who they've been friends with forever and it's just letting them know. And it was, it seemed like, you know, it was never like some big, huge leak where they're like, okay, here's the doc, here's the official document. It would just be like one or two small things. Like there's going to be an announcement in two months. It's going to be bad for everyone. Rivals and NPL are trying to get them to change it. Maybe like, okay, that doesn't tell us anything. But then they come back with like something specific. Like they're thinking about adding points to Grand Prix. We're like, okay, well, who cares? We don't know what that means or not. And then they don't announce it. They change it. It's like we would just hear small things like that. Never anything like that important. Yeah. So do you know if the NPLers and the rivals signed NDAs that prevented them from sharing the information that was going on discord like was was that exempt or i mean i I would assume the answer is no it's not exempt but do do you know that for a fact or or no well i've never seen their contracts and i I really have no idea but from what everyone talks about on twitter and the way they act about ndas and talk about ndas i assume they have one and as you know as much as wizards is like so nitty and scared legally it seems like they probably have ndas that are pretty strict and that the discords would be included, that they're not allowed to share any of the information. But uh, honestly, that's just me saying what it seems like from how they talk about things on Twitter and a lot of people responding to me. But uh, again, I've never seen the contracts or really talked to any. I've never talked to any one of the MPL or rivals about their contracts and NDAs. Like everything I've heard about it is just kind of people responding, you know, saying, "Oh, this is an NDA. Austin doesn't have an NDA," and blah blah blah. Sure. So I just kind of assume they do, but I really have no idea. So the, I guess really the 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 spirit of it. Let's let's not even talk about like the technicalities, but the spirit of the thing was meant to be NPLers and rivals. You shouldn't tell anybody outside of, like, you shouldn't tell anyone. Period. Like, I guess you shouldn't tell your wife or your partner. You shouldn't tell other Magic players, especially like what's been going on. Like, this is meant to be information that is confidential, right? I would assume that's the spirit of things. I would also assume, yeah, I would assume that everything in there is supposed to be confidential. They're not supposed to tell anyone. I would assume that's that's the point of the of the discourse. I've worked in lots of situations, uh, you know, corporate and otherwise, where we've we've done NDAs. Like I've signed NDAs, where I've had someone sign an NDA when they work with me. So, what's your what's your theory on why it is that this information is getting out? Because I, and the reason I'm asking this, Austin, is because like, mm-hmm. is it just because they're really like. Do you think it's because like the pro players are really disgruntled? They feel like they need to vent. Is it just like human nature? Like I've got the secret and I really need to tell somebody. Like, what do you think are the reasons for this stuff 
getting out because it would seem like there's no, at least talking about the specific issue here that we're just talking about, there's no incentive for them to tell anybody. Yeah, so the the biggest thing is whenever it affects their friends directly and they know ahead of time, that seems to be like the stuff they're sharing. But every time I've heard anything, it's never been like, it's never been like, okay, this is this is it, the full thing, and like here it is. Like I, we hear some big leak for no reason. It's always like, look, they're gonna announce something in two months, and it's pro, it's they're gonna start adding points to GPS. Like just letting y'all know because these people in the leagues, whoever is the, the, the whoever is leaking it to their friends, their close friends, they just feel like it's it's information that their friends should know. Like if you're, I see. If if you're playing competitive Magic, you're a challenger. You know, there's 95% of competitive magic is challengers. There's thousands of us playing in the RPTs and Grand Prix, and there's only 70 people in the leagues. Like, it isn't just about you. And there's going to be 30 new challengers that take rivals' spots in this half season. So, yeah, like, I assume it's just those people feeling like it's, they just feel like it's kind of unfair, or it's just their close friends and they want to share. But never has it been like, okay, I'm just sharing this full announcement. It's always like, okay, it's not finalized. I'm not really sure. And there's a big announcement, but a lot of it doesn't affect you right now or I'm, it doesn't really affect people, so I'm not going to say it. But mm-hmm. Grand Prix might matter for points. Or but there's a Pro Tour in five weeks on Arena. Or but you know the rivals are arguing for to get into the Pro Tour final, which is messed up because like – you know, all you I know a lot of people here are qualified for the Pro Tour Finals. So I'm just letting you know. Like just something like that is is how all the leaks happen. But it was only yeah, it's like all bits and pieces. Yeah. And it's only four or five things and everything that I had ever heard was like a big deal to people outside of the league. So I'm assuming that's why it's spilling. And it's just a lot of that's just a lot of how it is. Like a lot of these people in the leagues have really, really close friends who play high-level magic. Like, they might even be roommates with them or married to them or girl, like might be their boyfriend or girlfriend. Like, eventually something's going to get to someone, and if that person decides to tell their friends, then it just leaks to everyone. And, you know, once a few people know, you know how the sec- how secrets work. Okay, so that is really good context setting. Let's let's go to present day or maybe more more exactly like a week ago or something. Yes. I, I want to hear from your own words, like all the events that transpire like just talk about it in your own words because we've we heard a lot we've read a lot i've read a lot uh i watched your vods but i really want to get like your first-hand account of exactly what went down yeah so today is now june right it's june 1st that we're recording this so um sometime at the beginning of may i forget the exact date um covid is in full force the pro tours had gotten rescheduled rpt2 to some new places further further along the pro tour final has been canceled or pushed back but then you know everybody's just kind of playing these magic fests online and nobody's really talking about the pro tour at all we just assume it's you know it's canceled or going to be pushed back to some indefinite time in real life maybe we'll play it at the beginning of next year who knows what's going to happen with everything um but they announced in that announcement that the rivals uh, the rivals that are currently rivals in the half season are going to stay rivals for the full season. They're canceling our points. Mm-hmm. So anybody who you know had 18 or less points just canceled. But if you had 20 or more because you made the semifinals or the finals of one of the RPTs, you're now going to be a rival for the full season when it happens, whenever that happens. 
And so that's eight slots because of tiebreakers. It was going to be seven, but they, they say they're adding a person. And then for Arena, it's going to be the same thing. They're going to be the top seven. So there's going to be 15 new rivals, but the the ones the 32 that are in there are going to stay, despite the bottom 16 were supposed to fall out in the rules. Mm-hmm. Because we're canceling the half season, they're just going to stay for the full season, which means not only are they getting paid this contract for the next few months, they're going to get the full next year, which was supposed to go to 30 new challengers, but now it's only going to be 15 because – I mean, it's supposed to be 14, but they added one. So those 16 rivals are just staying. Even a lot of them had zero points because they didn't make day two of the RPT. I, I think I know the answer, Austin, but I have to ask, how does that make you feel? Yeah, I mean, at the time, I was trying to look at it, you know, like without any bias because COVID happened. They need to cancel. They need to cancel the half season because we're not going to have these tournaments that's fine. It makes sense. They have to make some decision. But the decision they decided to make, once again, there's rivals in MPL Discord. They give input. Nasif, who I love, was in my stream when I was talking about this stuff. He literally said, I said in the Discord that they should cancel the half season. He said, I was joking, but then I was really happy when they actually did it because they had zero points. He literally said that in my stream. Like It's just like, come on. Like He, he suggested they cancel it, and that's what they did. But the the problem in my eyes was that they actually counted it like they counted it Mm -hmm. for the top seven which it was supposed to count for everyone we were going to play four tournaments and then whoever made rivals in the top 12 slots made it but instead they just cut slots so they cut 15 challenger slots gave it to the rivals that were already rivals and then they they used a lot and said they added a slot because of tiebreakers they tried to make spin it like people wouldn't notice that they just deleted points and make it seem like you're doing a favor for tiebreakers when really they deleted 15 spots from us. And then when I fight back, they're not answering me. The Magic Esports mm-hmm. account ignores me. They ignore my emails. And not only do they ignore my emails, people come onto my my Twitter post or whatever, like Siggy, who says, like, actually, I care. Like, it screwed me over. And I wasn't thinking about that. Siggy is right. He was a rival who had points because he did well at the RPT. I think he top 16 and he got mm-hmm. screwed because he had a good shot to get into the MPL now because the top half of rivals gets to go to the gauntlet or automatically goes if you're like the top few, two or four, maybe went straight to the MPL. So he was like, I didn't want it to be canceled either, but that's a few. So a few rivals got screwed, but the bottom 30 just got free passes. And my biggest gripe was like, if you're going to change the rules, then you can either not count the half season for anyone and just say, Look, we're just not counting it. You know, there's 32 rivals. We'll figure something out. Or you can say we're gonna maybe resume it later. Whatever. It's a tough spot. I mean, you can argue both sides, but obviously it's frustrating that I have 18 points and they're not saying anything like, "Oh, these are gonna we're gonna roll them over to next season," despite canceling your chances at rivals for this year. You know, maybe in two years you'll be a rival because you'll have these 18 points. They just deleted them and didn't even mention it. Like it's just done. They're deleted. But my biggest gripe is that. A few weeks later, they're announcing that we're still playing those tournaments. Like, we're about to play RPT2 online, yeah. where everyone else is, and then the Pro Tour Final online, so we're still playing it. But just, just a month ago, not even, they canceled it, said Rivals has decided, you know, this is the Rivals, these seven players who had 20 points, but why did they do that? And people were yeah. like, oh, maybe they have to lock it in, the contracts, but they're not locked in. Like, Calcano and a lot of people are fighting for the arena slots, there's going to be seven instead of 12, but there's still another arena uh, qualifier like on June sometime in a couple weeks. And that's the last tournament. 
in the set top seven in the standings of arena are going to also get into rivals. So that's not even decided yet. So there's no excuse why, like, there's just no reason why these tournaments that we're about to play on arena, this pro pro tour RPT two and pro tour final shouldn't just count to the half season. And we should just keep our points. But not right. only did they not do that, they also just deleted them for good. And then, you know, they, after I was complaining on Twitter and nobody's answering me, they sent us the email where they're going to, they offered to give us medals to, you know, like, as we, we we're not getting to play in person and you know we want to congratulate you on your great finish at the rpt and we're going to send you a medal like that's what they told us and it's literally the four players are me and three people on my team so we all got the emails and we're just like i mean come on like never has it been a thing to give someone a medal and obviously it's just a slap in the face and we don't care about a medal we just want our points and our chance to play for for rivals so that was the first thing and that was like why I was upset in the. That first was the buildup, right? That was like yeah. just a. I mean, it's it's a lot of things. I mean, the the messaging it, and just just the lack of consistency, right? Yeah, it's just like they they change the rules and they don't. They're not transparent. But the rivals Discord, we don't know what goes on in the NPL rivals Discord because it's under NDA. But then every time they come out with an announcement, it's like that one is pretty obviously biased towards rivals with zero points. It's like. Why is this happening? And nobody will answer me. So I'm just like screaming about it, emailing them about it, upset. My team all emails them about it, but they don't say anything. And then finally I get like an answer from Blake, uh, PR on Twitter. He like says something about Blake Rasmussen, I believe. Yes. Yes. He's like saying, you know, because of COVID we had to do, we had to make a decision. It was never going to be perfect. Like we, we hear what you're saying. Like, and you know, his, he was a little bit like brash and like basically telling me like, look, stop, stop talking about it. It's over. We had to make our decision. But at the same time, he's just getting thrown into the role of having to say that to me and, you know, nothing against him. I don't Mm -hmm. think he did anything wrong and fine. He's probably just the messenger. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. All these people are just messengers and like he didn't, he didn't do anything wrong, but it's just like at the same time, the people in rivals are just silent. Like they have zero points and they just got in and they don't say a word about it. When I'm talking about it, people are talking about it. They just like, yeah, whatever. No problems. Well, here's a here's a sports analogy, right? I mean, I, I love basketball, and I, I'm sure you mm-hmm. play basketball as well. Like, if you're on, if you're if if your teammate, you're, you're playing five on five. Your teammate gets a call from the ref that benefits your team. It doesn't matter how silly that phantom foul or charge was. Like, you're not going to complain about it, right? That's just how it goes. Exactly, and that's and that's the thing. Like, I we I can't expect these people to like stand up for stuff like that. Like. Like the, you know, Lucas, Lucas Bertude and Ben Stark and the people who are like actually still tweeting when they think something is, you know, wrong or not fair to everyone. Lucas is amazing. Yeah, I've, I've had him on the podcast. He's, he just speaks the truth all the time. <laughs> yeah, he was, in, he was in my stream when I found out I got banned and he immediately offered to give me whatever he wins in the RPT. And I'm like, look, man, you do enough. You don't need to, you don't need to give me, give me your prize money from the RPT. But anyway, yeah, he is great. And the thing is like, even them, when something like this happens, it's just a debate. Like it's not obvious mm-hmm. that what I'm saying is the right thing. It just feels like this decision is obviously extremely beneficial towards rivals and it doesn't seem fair to me. But it's like I can't expect Lucas or Ben to really talk about this. As long as they're doing, you know, talking about the really big things that are messed up, that's fine with me. Right. 
So you pick your battles, right? Yeah, exactly. So, and this this is just frustrating because it affected not only me but all of my teammates like so directly. We all had so many points, and it's just another slap in the face. And when you think about it, like they keep bringing it up, they like want to make a matrix of all the players that were in the NPL from the 2017 season, and like you could have gotten zero points and then fall into rivals and then had zero points again, and now you're still going to be in rivals for all of next year. It's like these people could have just not even played for three years and they're still in rivals. Like, how is this the system? Like. Mark Jacobson had 50 points last season. He just got 15 deleted this season, and now he's right. back at zero with one invite. It's like this is now just I understand. Up. That's why that's why on your stream, like Lucas had that joke about, hey, I don't know why you guys didn't just try to win more in 2017. Exactly. <laughs> that's that's the only season that mattered. And not only is that the only season that mattered, nobody knew that. It was at the very end of the season. They just right. the pros. You need went that quiet. magic time machine. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> pros went quiet, and then boom, 10 million MPL whatever and it's just like another year of silence and they just get to stay and then oh there's rivals but you know we're gonna we're gonna have it from this season where we didn't tell you until the end so nobody even knew to play this season and then also we're gonna have special invites but then we're gonna cancel the next season like it's just been it's just been unreal one thing after another and obviously this is not even getting to the biggest point of what happened this is just all the build-up just the build-up yeah i mean it's already a lot for the build-up but yeah please continue so anyway, sometime in there, I had we had gotten those emails about the medals. We emailed back. I hadn't heard anything. Still haven't got the medal. Neither has any of my team. Um, Alan had responded something nice, like he doesn't really, you know, medals round down to zero for him, but um, but he really appreciates it, whatever. And they responded to him and said, "No, we already have the medals. We would like to send it, whatever." <laughs> so um, so it's anyway, already. Yeah, but that was like a month ago now, and we none of us have got the medals, which uh, obviously I don't care at all about. But um, yeah. it's just funny that that's what they used to shut us up, and then we don't even get them. But um, anyway, um, someone someone on our team lets us know that there's going to be an Arena Pro Tour. And they say RPT2, the one that was supposedly canceled, is actually going to be on Arena, and it's going to be in the middle of June. And this is like at the beginning of May at some point. I forget the exact date. But we're like, okay. Everyone's like, wow, there's 20 of us now that know. What the hell? How sure are you? And they're like, I mean, they're pretty sure it's so soon. They don't really – it's like how could they cancel it? But I don't really know the details. I just know that it's likely there's going to be an Arena Pro Tour. And it's going to be all standard. We were like, oh my god. Okay, so I guess we should start practicing standard, but at the same time, standard sucks. We don't really want to practice. What are we going to do? Okay, so a few days go by. Some people on my team are like, should we tweet about this? And it's like, nah, we really can't because we're going to get someone in trouble. And also the NPL and rivals are going to be frustrated about it because if there's you know a widespread leak and everyone starts talking about it, they might cut them off and stop giving them information. And we don't really want right. to screw them over like that or cause any like fights. And also... Like whatever, it's it's a few weeks. It's really annoying, but we'll just talk about it after and complain, saying they keep giving these advantages to the MPL and rivals, and it's messed up. And at the mm -hmm. time, like man, if I like all these people that are playing Magical Line PTQs, like they're winning it and they have no idea they're about to be told you just won a PTQ for a Pro Tour in four and a half weeks. That's on Arena and it's all standard, and you might not even play Arena. You might not even have a computer. You might not even play standard. Right. Like, it just feels bad. But, I mean, what can I do about it? Really nothing. So I'm just kind of stuck and not doing anything. But then 
I hear from someone different, you know, in a different chat that I'm in with some players on my team, some other players that from someone else that the announcement is horrible for everyone. It's like universally bad. And there's going to be all these cuts they're saying, and Mm -hmm. every tournament is going to be on arena for their foreseeable future. And, um, also, did you know about the prize cuts at that time too? Yeah. So they, they said there's going to be serious prize cuts. I didn't know what that meant. Like I, okay. I, I, okay. I had no idea it was going to be this That was bad. in the wind. Sure. It was coming, but you didn't know specifics, yes. but you knew directionally it was going to. Yeah. Great. I mean, I heard that there was going to be prize cuts and I heard that, um, the foreseeable future, everything's going to be arena. Oh, and the last thing I heard was that there was going to be no mention of like invites and how they pass down or like fractionals that are disappearing. Like they were like, there's going to be, there was none of that in the announcement. So it's just like really bad. And NPL and rivals are going to try to get them to fix it. And I was like, wow, this is unbelievable. So like two days later, it's like May 10th or 11th. I think it was, it's been like five days since we, five or six days since we found out there was an arena pro tour. We hear that the discords have been canceled because there were too many leaks. Mm hmm. Like, whatever that means. This was, so like, I, the last straw, whatever it was, right? Yeah, so there's been too many leaks, and I'm like, okay, we're talking in our group chats, like, does that mean we can tweet now? Because they're not, they're just, there's nothing to lose for the MPL and Rivals, so they're not going to be mad at us if we tweet about it, because their stuff's already canceled. There's already been so it's many dissolved, leaks. yeah. So yeah. it's all out in the open. So everyone was like, yeah, I think I think it's fine, I don't know. And then somebody made, like, a something they would tweet, you know, about this thing. And I just replied and said shotgun. And then I tweeted it like the next morning when I replied shotgun in our group chat. So I like thought when I did it, I thought it was just like no downside at all. I didn't think what I was doing was bad. I didn't think I was breaking any rules and I really didn't think it was going to be like stepping on anyone's toes or getting anyone in trouble in the MPL arrivals or making them lose their discord because they already lost it. And I mentioned that in the post, like, you know, their thing has been canceled, which is hilarious. Like, Wizards is so scared that somehow they got leaks. Oh, before I posted it, I forgot. I I emailed Magic Esports about it, and I also DM'd the Magic Esports account on Twitter. Just like a one paragraph about how, you know, the rivals in MPL, some of them did the right thing and told their close friends, and now it's spread to, you know, my entire team and a lot of other players that there's going to be an Arena Pro Tour we don't have the details, but we know it's going to be mid-June. We think it's extremely unfair that we're getting started to practice. You should announce that there's going to be an Arena Pro Tour, whether you have the details finalized or not. That's what I told them. And they didn't respond to my email, but on the Magic Twitter account, they responded to me and said, Hi, Austin. Who told you this information? That's all that they said. Okay. And I was like, are you serious? Like, what? Who? What is... What is that? Like, right. I just responded so like rather rather than rather than address to the actual issue yes. uh, of it. You know, they they were more interested in at least in that message about damage control. Basically. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So that was they responded pretty quick, like this the same day, maybe not even an hour later. And so I responded again, like um, something about how it's it doesn't matter who told me it's uh, you know so it's a widespread it's widespread at this point mm-hmm. but there's th- there's a thousand people that don't know about it and it's messed up that you're waiting and blah 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 and you should announce something and this might have been like the day before i posted so then the next day when i woke up they hadn't said anything didn't respond to my email i was like look i'm just gonna let the people know they're gonna announce it next week but it's messed up that these people are gonna have three and a half four weeks to prepare for an arena pro tour they should just know right now I don't feel right that we all know. And everyone was like, yep, go ahead, whatever. And when I said shotgun, they're all laughing. And I just tweeted it. I had it ready. Boom. Tweeted like those six tweets about how 
there's going to be an Arena Pro Tour. And so many people are liking it and sharing it, which is great. I want as many people to see it. But a lot of people are like, how how do you know this? Like, this doesn't seem right. Like, this, whatever. It's like, I mean, you think I'm just going to share this if I didn't actually hear it? I said in the tweets, I'm not positive. They could still change things. Mm-hmm. But this information came directly from the discords where they're talking about it. They talk about lots of things. Yeah, you basically said this is this is the rumor, right? It, like I have I have it on good. I'm pre- I'm pretty convinced, but this is the rumor. Like this is going to happen. Exactly, and that's I mean that's all that it is. Like I I said I have not seen any official documents. It's not like this is a fact. And from the past and all these other things that we've heard, it's always they run it by the rivals in MPL to see if they have feedback, and then they might still change things. But we knew that with only a few weeks to pass and this was their decision and they have these cuts and these tournaments like they can't really change much like this is going to happen so i felt confident there's going to be an arena pro tour mid-june because it just doesn't make sense to change it at this point so i was confident like this information is true i'm going to post it it should help people if they don't want to use it to their you know to their advantage that's fine they don't have to believe me but it just feels right it just feels like the right thing to do to me so i'm going to post it and you know a week passed or something and Nothing happened. It seemed seemed fine, but on the day that they were supposed to announce it, the 19th is what I had heard, There is when they had planned the announcement, which is a week after I posted. They didn't do it. They posted some secret layers and some other stuff, but didn't post about the Pro Tour. So people were like joking with me, like, haha, you're wrong, but then the next day, on the 20th, they post it. And it's even worse than what I expected. It's like, you know, they cut 2.5 to $3 million. They trimmed everything down to one tournament. Their Pro Tour is arena, but they're not going to even give anyone stocked accounts. Instead of not mentioning the invites, they decided to just cancel them. You know, you don't have fractionals anymore. And on top of that, these Pro Tours don't feed anything. We don't know what the next Pro Tour is going to look like. We might just not have Pro Tours next year. Who knows? This is just by itself. This is basically a tournament that's just for nothing but the prize money. And, oh yeah, the prize money is extremely flat and also cut. Like, it's $8,000 the first in the RPTs and then the invitationals, you know, we cut 500 K from all of them and condensed them down to one. And it's also only 10 K to first instead of whatever, a hundred or 150, whatever it was. And so it was just like a ter- terrible announcement and they just drop it with, you know, in the FAQ, they, they make up some circular thing about why the money is gone and say, we had to reduce some prizes to bring this tournament to all the players around the world or some like, nonsense that makes no sense. And then they just have completely ignored it when, all the top pros have even mentioned it. Like Frank Karsten replied on the thread, why can you not be transparent about why you you know, got rid of the money and they just haven't said a word about it. And then, yeah, um, that was on May 20th they announced it. So that was, what day of the week right. was that? One, that was one day Wednesday. later than expected, yeah. That was a Wednesday. And so I'm not really, I'm not really playing much. I forgot what I was doing those few days. But... Um, on Sunday, the 24th, which is four days later, I had fired up my stream to start practicing for the Pro Tours. And after my first match, um, I can't log on to Arena anymore. And you saw it on my stream. I'm just suddenly banned from Arena. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, my account seems banned. So let me check my email. And that's when I get the email that I'm banned indefinitely from the DCI, Magic Arena, and MTGO effective immediately. And if I would well, like to, well, let's 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 yeah. back up for a bit because yeah, there was a. I, I know on 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 Twitter DM they asked you like who who told you this information, but yes. there's also something else that happened, right? What what are what are you referring to? 
Didn't they also ask you over email to, to, oh, to review your source? Oh, I forgot about that. Yes. So I forget the date. Let me look it up really quick. It's May 22nd. That's the date I'm missing. So I, I, it's just been a while now and I haven't been thinking about it. So it was Friday and now I remember a lot, a lot clearer. They sent me this email at uh, 7.15 p.m. on Friday night, my time. I mean, it was 5.15 their time, uh, West Coast. And I didn't read it until about 9.30 but all that it said was, hello, Austin. I'm reaching out on behalf of Wizards of the Coast. They're a support rep, support rep at Wizards of the Coast. You recently posted confidential information regarding to Magic Gathering on your Twitter account. This information had not yet been readied for public announcement. Early release of incomplete information can create a poor experience for our players. As such, we would appreciate your help in learning how you obtain this information so that we can prevent future leaks of this kind. That's all the email said. That's the complete message, right? There was no, there's no discussion about like repercussions or any of no. that. That was the complete message. No, they don't sign it. They don't continue. They don't say thanks. They just say, as such, we would appreciate your help in learning how you obtain this information so that we can prevent future leaks of this kind. Period. And then the email ends. And all that I saw was that it was a ticket created by Wizards of the Coast. It's a support rep at Wizards of the Coast, and that was their message that I just read. And it's a nameless support rep. It's just like yeah, just it just says rep. support rep Wizards of the Coast. So I thought it was just like you know. Uh, on the on the Twitter account, it's um, uh, what what's her name? It's Athena, you know, Efro's wife that runs that account. As far as I know, they've come, to, you know, that's like public knowledge. She's in charge of that account. So when she responds, I assume she has to go to the people in charge of esports to get like information, and they give her the details on what to say, and she just kind of manages the account for them. And so she's just like, you know someone just reporting the messages she has nothing to do with making any decisions right. obviously and then i assume the support rep is something similar like they're just some person dropping this but it was a little it was a little weird like it's seven seven at night and the message just seems kind of cryptic and weird but i didn't really think anything of it i thought it was like hilarious like i couldn't even believe that they sent it to me so i send it to my teammates and i'm like look at this email i just got it's hilarious should i like mm -hmm. what should i respond and i came up with that joke that i posted on twitter you know, I had typed out the response <laughs> in my, um, yeah. you know, I typed it out in my And I'm track. laughing. I'm laughing because at the time I didn't look at your tweets that closely because I yeah. kind of followed you a little bit. Uh, I, I actually thought that's what you responded. I don't know if other people had that. Uh, yes. I, when I posted it on Twitter, I mean, it was it was clearly a draft. If you look like I hadn't seen it, but it doesn't really I'm, I'm, I'm sure it doesn't like say draft in my email. And it's not obvious that I didn't send it. So people started like going crazy and liking it and you know, retweeting it and like people are saying this is hilarious or such a boss, whatever. And it's like, I feel like kind of stupid that I'm like, I didn't actually send that, but it's like, whatever, this is Twitter. I just posted a funny draft. It's not like I'm like lying and saying, Oh, this is what I sent them, whatever. Mm -hmm. But some people were like, Oh, you lied and did it in my stream. Like I didn't lie. I just posted a funny <laughs> tweet. I'm literally telling you that I didn't send it right now the next day. And I'm telling you what I did send. But anyway, I didn't actually send that. I, I wanted to, like I say on the stream, like that's the kind of response I wanted to give them. But I realized this support rep is like giving me an inf a window to t talk to them when they don't respond to me mm -hmm. on Twitter. They don't respond to my emails. Like I have a free reign to tell them how I feel about OP and then also respond to their request here and maybe help them out about the leaks. So that's what I'll do. And, you know, my response is extremely long because I go through OP and the past few years and I try to make it right. sound nice and talk about my team and how it's affected all of us and everything. And then I end it with, you know, why people are leaking the stuff from the Discord, which we just talked about before. It's It affects their close friends and it's 
it's all that you can expect. Like if you're going to keep giving competitive advantages to these players, it doesn't matter what NDA they're under. They're going to tell their roommates and their best friends if it affects them when there's so little downside, like that is just going to happen. And at the same time, it it's not a big deal. Like they're leaking stuff that is not a big deal. This is not like we're leaking sets early or we're leaking Mm -hmm. some crazy information. This is not like the God book incident. Nobody's getting an advantage unless you already gave it to the MPL and rivals and they feel bad. That's why, literally why they're leaking because they feel some like need to tell their friends because it's messed up that they know this stuff ahead of time. So anyway, that um, that is what's happening. And then from there, it's just been frustrating because I, I respond at like 11, 11 or 12 p.m. that night after reading it in bed, crafting my response. And um, I basically tell them like, everything I just told you about how it's going to keep happening if you don't stop giving competitive advantages. But as far as the request, it's ridiculous to even ask me that like it's unprofessional, whatever. And then they were, you know, Sunday where we were at, they so you just, didn't give them any and, names. Obviously you just, you no, just gave them the feedback. And yeah, I didn't even, I didn't even consider it because I just thought it was, it's support rep, some joke. I had no idea I was under some sort of investigation or this was like some serious matter. Like obviously mm-hmm. they they're not going to come after me if they want to come after someone it's going to be whoever leaked the information so they're just asking for my help like hoping I just like give them some you, you thought they were just kind of fishing right that's yeah which they are I mean that I didn't even think that it's like very clear that's what they're doing like they didn't threaten me they didn't say you know you're under investigation and blah 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 it's just a simple three sentences where they end it with we would appreciate your help in learning how you obtain this information so that we can prevent future leaks. So I literally gave them information about how they can prevent future leaks while also giving them my thoughts on OP and a nice long email. And yeah, two days later is when I was playing and just got suddenly banned from everything. And they basically told me, you know, all my accounts have been suspended until further notice. Um, They started it off by saying, Thank you for providing your thoughts regarding Magic Organized Play. Your statement will be sent to the appropriate teams per your request. But then they say, your failure to cooperate with our investigation has resulted in your immediate suspension from the DCI, MTGO, and MTGA. All these accounts have been suspended. During this time, you may not participate in any Magic event, blah, blah, blah. Premier event invitations are all revoked. And then they say, if you would like to appeal our decision, please do so in a reply to this email. Any petition regarding this suspension must include information pertinent to our investigation. Sincerely, Wizards of the Coast. So this time they sign it as Sincerely, Wizards of the Coast. Right. I don't know who Wizards of the Coast is, but they just signed this email as Wizards of the okay. Coast. And, um, and yeah, they didn't sign the previous one. So I get that, and I'm just like, whoa, this is just unreal. I'm on stream. I have a two-hour stream talking about it, get 500 viewers, and all the NPL and rivals are there. We're discussing things, and from there, it just goes kind of crazy i'm trying to take it easy and not do anything quickly or rash about responding to their email but after that discussion i was just like what is going on the the npl and rivals are all in here arguing that they didn't have like a serious advantage as if that matters at all or has anything to do with how absurd banning me is like this and it's just like i don't even know what to think there's a couple of things I want to unpack here, but let's let's break it down, right? So what is the main argument that people might have about this this information leak not giving players a competitive advantage? Like what's what are the arguments that you're you're reading on that? So they 
the frustrating part was that they made it into like a joke. Like they, I'm saying they, but it was like a lot of them, like 10 people. Like it was whoever, Canister, Sebastian, uh, Alex Hain, Nassif. And I like all these people, like a lot, almost all of them are my friends, but they're like tweeting massive advantage, huge advantage. Like trying to say that the words that I'm using, because I say massive, that it might not technically be massive, but in my stream, I'm repeating, repeatedly saying, like, if it's not massive, it's at least significant. Like, it's not some insignificant advantage. It's a serious advantage, and the biggest, the biggest gripe is that it's unnecessary. Like, I believe that they don't need to do this. If they want to run stuff by the NPL and rivals, that's great. I would like them to do that. But these kinds of advantages are just completely unnecessary. There was. A- Let's be clear. What what are they actually saying? They're saying that having the one to two weeks of lead time of knowing that there's a standard PT or standard event online doesn't materially affect the outcome, even for people that know a week or two in advance because the metagame changes so fast for standard. Is that the argument or the position? Yes, that is almost exactly their argument. And I think it's, it's like a few reasons. Number one, they feel like they feel a need to argue because... They feel like they're getting attacked unreasonably. Like people are saying, "Oh my God, the MPL and rivals are cheaters," and they have all this extra information. And, you know, people. Yeah, just I, I think crazy. there's probably some. Like if you if you put if you put yourself in their shoes, there's a there's some merit to that, right? Yes, exactly. But th- what they should be arguing is not about the advantage. Like, look, it's very clear that you have an advantage. How big the advantage is is debatable, and it depends a lot on who. But it's not zero, right? It's no, non-zero. No, of course it's non-zero. And like I said, I'm gonna stand by that it's extremely significant. Like it might not be massive, and uh, you know, not some huge grand deal in the in the final scheme of things. But at the time, I thought it was a very big deal because specifically my team of some of the most enfranchised players who knew they were qualified for this tournament for months and really want to play it and play Magic all the time. They don't even have Arena on their computers. They haven't been playing Standard at all because there's no reason to. And when they found out, they're like, this has to be a joke. Like, I would like to just defer. Like, I don't even want to play Standard. I don't want to download Arena. I have to get a new computer because I don't have a computer that can run Arena. Like, like Tommy Ashton is on my team. He plays Magic Online every day, all day long for the past 20 years or whatever. He's won like a million Moto PTQs. He does not even play Arena because his computer couldn't handle it and he had no reason to. So for him not knowing about the arena pro tour until three weeks before is brutal. Every single day that goes by the NPL and rivals get a massive advantage on Tommy from him having one less day. And it has nothing to do with how much they play standard or magic because they already have arena accounts and they already have to stream arena and play arena all the time and know the, the, the interface. And at the same time, mm-hmm. they're also playing standard because they were automatically qualified for the magic fest online. I see them playing, they're streaming arena and they're also, you know, had LSV has standard trophies. Like I'm talking about it and they're just coming into my chat and saying like, Oh, it's a massive advantage. And their argument is like you said, standard changes all the time. It's not like we're practicing standard every day and nobody's claiming that. And nobody's even attacking you or saying it's your fault. Uh, All we're saying is that Wizards is giving you a serious unfair advantage that is unnecessary. They can announce to the public the next day, whenever they run it by you, that there's going to be an Arena Pro Tour. And people are like, oh, but they got to run it by all the marketing teams and all this stuff. And it's like, that's fine. But if this is going to be the status quo of you running stuff by them and then giving them a hundred percent more time, like two weeks in a five and a half week windows, a massive deal for any kind of information relevant to the tournament. Then you need to let the public know ASAP 
in some capacity. You don't have to have all the details finalized, but just let them know there's going to be Arena Pro Tours mid-June. That would have been perfectly fine. They just tweeted from the account like, but I guess they're saying, oh, it's not finalized. It's not finalized. Well, sure, all the small details are not finalized, but they know that there's going to be an Arena Pro Tour. Like, it's it's an advantage. So I don't really understand why yeah. they were so hell-bent on arguing that, except for the fact that they're trying to get people off their backs and stop calling them like cheaters and nonsense, which is like, come on. That's not what's, that's not what's important. And you know to just ignore those people anyway. Right. I mean, I think a lot of the NPRs have been in the public spotlight long enough where they already know how to put those filters on, right? Like, I, I can't even imagine what it's like to be uh, one of the NPRs and just, like, I'm sure they get, like, tons of emails a day or messages a day from just random fans or haters, right? So that, that's absolutely. probably, like, what they live with before that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's the thing. And at the same time, you know, the announcement dropped and immediately when it dropped there was you know uproar about specifically the arena accounts and how it's unfair that right they're not providing they're not god stocked. accounts and the mpl are sitting there like they just stole two million dollars from us we don't know the status of our contracts we don't know what's going to happen next year for our livelihood and you guys are arguing about arena accounts that's like a couple hundred dollars and like we have gym codes to go around to fund all of you players qualified like please stop talking about arena accounts and let's talk about the $3 million they just stole from us, but they just can't even say anything. They're just like sitting there seeing this. And then, you know, a few days later I'm talking about this competitive advantage and people start attacking them on Twitter. So I understand that they want to defend themselves, but it just seems like very illogical to come at it from this manner. Like, Oh, it's not a big advantage. They should just say like, I'm not playing any extra standards, so it shouldn't have been that big of a deal. But I do see how, you know, every single day that passes is clearly an advantage for you to not have started practicing or getting arena or whatever. But they just like none of them are saying that. It's just they're either silent or arguing the opposite. So I don't know. It's frustrating. Here's the thing, Austin. This this might be something that might be hard for you to hear, or maybe maybe I'm making a leap here, but how much of the pros feedback when I say pros, MPLers and and, and rivals mm-hmm. How much of the pros feedback do you think is purely issue based and how much of their reaction is based on this stuff is coming from Austin Bursevich? Well, I think that it's it's almost assuredly just issue based and they are like I said, it's one of two things. They like they've either somehow convinced themselves that it's not an advantage, like like what Hain and Nasif were saying. And if you look at their their tweets and their discourse about it in my in my chat, like Hain is saying, I don't practice anyway. Like I don't practice for tournaments. It's not an advantage for me. I haven't played Magic. Like BBD, he didn't get any advantage because he's playing World of Warcraft instead of Magic. He hasn't played a single game, so he's right. Like mm-hmm. he didn't have an, uh, some big advantage. But despite that, BBD not playing and not caring about Magic, it's very. Well, your your point is more about the principle of it. No, it's, it's not, not really. Yeah, like, and it's not it, even the yeah. principle. It's that it's that you do have an advantage whether you play or not. Like, you know that there's going to be an Arena Pro Tour in five weeks. So from that moment that you know that, you now can Mm -hmm. make the decision to practice, get a new computer, get more familiar with Mm -hmm. Arena. You don't have to do it if you don't want to do any of that. But You you can make a timeline checklist like, okay, do I have a a computer? Check, I already do. Do I have all the wild cards? Check, I already do, right? So you can control your your destiny based on that. Exactly. And every, like it's, it, the argument doesn't make sense because I was saying in my chat, what if they announced that the arena pro tour was in four hours, like on Saturday, June 13th, like, look, the pro it's in four hours. 
good luck. And the MPL's like, well, whatever. I haven't been practicing anyway. Like, we knew six weeks ago that it was going to be in four hours, but it's not like we practice standard. Come on. Who wants to play standard? Because they were saying they don't care about the tournament because it has no points and the, the invitational is more important because it has more money. It's a different format. Yeah. So they're like playing historic. Like, this is the arguments they're using. And it's just like, what are we even talking about? But I, again, right. I understand it because they came out and said, okay, I'm not getting an advantage, but you're getting a disadvantage because you don't have as much time to prepare. I understand that people that might need to buy a computer, which is just stupid because it's the same thing, like obviously. So these people are geniuses mm -hmm. like Alex Hayne and Nassif and these, so I don't get how they don't understand that, but it brings me back to like, people are attacking them. They just got a bunch of money stolen from them. Like they're just like, right. uh, you know, I'm going to take it. I'm not going to like rail on them, but it's just frustrating for me that whenever I'm trying to like, I just got banned. I'm saying this was a big advantage. And then the whole NPL who's like a little bit frustrated. Maybe their discord got canceled. They're frustrated that the money's gone. They're like telling me it's not a disadvantage and they all have these huge platforms and they're tweeting like jokes, like massive advantage. Like, like, come on. It's just, it just seems absurd to me, but I get it. I mean, I understand yeah. why they're doing it. Yeah. And, and I'm going to go back to my question a little bit yeah. because this, again, I might be making a leap here. So, um, but this is the, something that I'm really curious about because Honestly, I didn't want to interview you, Austin, until I got a better sense of what happened. And now I'm more curious about it because I spoke to folks like Cyrus Corman Gill, who is a friend of yours and is a big supporter of yours. Originally, honestly, my, my thought was just like, Austin likes making jokes on the internet. He, he enjoys being a magic heel. He enjoys like, like he's, he's been very salty. I think, I think rightfully so for some of the things that have happened to him as part of like OP decisions. I, I just assume that like the reaction towards you by Watsi and also by the pros is somehow based on that. Cause I remember you wrote a blog post that you, you pinned on your, on your Twitter, which is about like how you wouldn't concede to, to PV and like Shahar gave you the death stare. It's so it's like, you are not exactly like universally well liked uh, by everybody in the community to, to, to say the least. And I'm not saying you're supposed to be like, cause the whole point that, that we're trying to make here is also like, it's the principle of it. It's about like, not about who you are as a person or even your demeanor, but it's more about like the issues, right? But I, I have to ask, like, do you think any of it, like how wizards treated you or how folks have treated you have to do a little bit with maybe your personality or, or how you carry yourself online? Yeah, I think absolutely that it has to do like somewhat with the way wizards handle things and some I'm of the sorry, that's such a leading it. question. So <laughs> I'm no, sorry. no, it's okay. Like I, I think that like w whenever I consider what wizards did, it's just it's completely unfathomable. Like there's there's been people arguing like, oh well, if you break a rule, like you know that there's got to be consequences. And sure, you did the right thing, but like, what do you want them to do? Like you broke a rule, and they like might link like the you know, the terms and conditions or the whatever code of conduct where wizard says like, you know, they can ban people for sharing like confidential information, but it's like, did you, did you not scroll down to the end where it's like, they can, they say like, they can literally ban anyone for anything. And they can also change this at any time if they want to, yeah. like they can do whatever they want. And everybody knows that, but this is completely messed up and they're only doing it to either like send some message or because they just want me to shut up. Like, because I've been tweeting at them saying it's messed up that, the way that they handle OP and everything. Like clearly their decision has something to do with it being me. Like if it was someone that was like, if Calcano tweeted this, I love Calcano and so does everyone else because he's so positive all the time. He wouldn't have got banned. Like I'm, I'm almost positive because I didn't do anything wrong. Like I, I, not only did I, I don't even think I even broke any rule, but it's like, mm -hmm. if I did, it, 
It caused minimal harm. They didn't ever give me a chance to like get investigated and they just haven't even talked to me. Like I've literally responded to them trying to help them and then they told me I was banned. It's it's completely absurd. So do you do you feel like they wanted to make an example out of you or that you you are becoming the sort of the equivalent of a a, a magic martyr like not not literally but figuratively i mean i, I have no idea but it, it nothing else really makes sense to me like how could they possibly think this was a good decision like it's just caused uproar from anyone who can say anything like obviously people in the npl and rivals feel like they should just kind of stay out of it but everybody else there's people that like you said they think i'm like this heel or i'm aggressive or i'm an asshole or like they shouldn't really deal with me because it might just be like you know kind of nuclear and if you say something and it's messed up. I'll tell you that it's messed up. Even all of those people who like literally say, oh, I don't like him or I don't want to mess him. They're all saying how messed up it is and how obviously wrong it is and how Wizards should unban me and how it's they should apologize and it was fucked up or whatever. So it seems obvious to me that it has to be something more than just what happened. It doesn't even make sense. Like they haven't responded to my appeal and it's been eight days. So what have you, uh, I don't want to get you in trouble here. So whatever you're, you're comfortable in disclosing, but what, what has your appeal process been like? Because obviously you're not trying to give them any names. I don't even know how they can verify, even if you did. Like you could just tell them like someone that you hated and are they going to believe that? Or you can just tell them that uh, like 50 people told you, what are they going to do with it? But anyway, like what what has your appeal process been like over the past week? Yeah, exactly. Like whenever I got the original email, I was just like, okay, this is just a joke. It means nothing. Like what I can just say random people, I can literally, like, it just means nothing. Like, I didn't hear it from anyone directly in the leagues anyway. So many people knew. Clearly, they're just, like, hoping that I'll happen to have, like, known an NPL person who told me and maybe they can, like, go tell them to stop and mm-hmm. feel like they have some maybe sense. Maybe make of, an example of that person too, right? Yeah, or, like, seem like they have some sense of control over something because they don't feel, they don't want to feel out of control. Like, I'm just allowed to, like, post anything. But at the end of the day, what I posted was virtually zero harm like it didn't harm anyone it was completely it was only helpful to people that didn't know about the information they should have known it about it ahead of time it was a competitive advantage and so it was like what are they even doing coming at me like that well that's that's kind of the irony right is that the the pros who claim that they had no advantage why are they complaining if it didn't if it doesn't give them an advantage right so they're they're just they're merely annoyed whereas for people that it actually affects it 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 does help them it's a no. Yes, exactly. And they're annoyed because they think like one of their peers like leaked something which like hurt their trust because Wizards was trusting them with these NDAs and they're getting all this free information, which again, multiple times. But, but like you said, the Discord had already dissolved at that point. Yes, exactly. And that's why I posted it. But apparently it's been back. It's like been reinstated since then is what I've heard. Again, <laughs> okay. still hearing things. But Anyway, okay. I'm getting off track because I forgot what your original question was. Oh, no. My, my question is, what what's your appeal process been like over oh, this week? Yeah, okay. So I appealed that night on Sunday. It was like 2 o'clock in the afternoon when I got banned, and I did the stream. I thought about it, and when I look back, it's like they sent me one email, and it was a request to help them, and it was not signed by anyone, and it was sent to me by a support agent from Wizards of the Coast, and I responded respectfully with what I thought and how to help them. And then they told me I was banned. So, uh, you know, they told me in the email where I was banned that I needed to appeal by replying to this email, but also have information pertinent to the investigation. So I just replied um, that I would like to appeal, and I told them like a few short things about how I had no idea I was even under investigation to start. 
Um, number two, like, I forget exactly what I said, but basically I didn't tell them anything except who was investigating me and why was I banned so quickly in the first place? And then I would like to appeal. Like, that's it. I just, I want to know what's going on. And they just haven't answered me. So I could have like waited. I, I considered waiting and like crafting some big response, but I figured it was like a quicker thing. Like normally they respond in a few days when, when you're doing something right. important. And so I appealed letting them know like, okay, I had no idea I was under investigation. Uh, if this was such a big deal, I would, I would have responded mm-hmm. differently. But anyway, they just haven't answered me, and it's been eight days. So I guess I made a mistake, or they're just clowning me. I, I don't know. Like it just seems. I see. The whole thing seems so insane so, to me. I haven't heard anything so here, since I sent that. Yeah. So here's my hypothesis, right? Yep. Maybe you you wrote that, and someone obviously read it. Yep. And then they're like, "Okay, did Austin give us a name? Uh, no. Okay. Well, I guess uh, we'll just throw this in the in the trash because he basically didn't volunteer any." any names and uh, we're just going to sit on it and, and hope that he, he cracks under the pressure. Cause I'm assuming that you want to play magic again. You want to compete again. So I, I guess it's one of those unfortunate situations where they have all the leverage. Like, would you, would you say that's true? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like it, that's why the whole, that's why the whole thing is so messed up. Like there are so many people rallying behind me, like people I've never met and emailing me. Like I've gotten like 15 emails of people that, are forwarding me what they sent to wizards, like people that have played for years and have hundreds of thousands of dollars in collections and sending pictures of their house where they have binders of every set ever and mint beta mm-hmm. collections saying they're never going to spend another dollar until they unban me because this is so absurd and they run a business and it's crazy you would ever do something in this manner. Like it, I, at this point it has nothing to do with like me being banned and wanting to play magic anymore. It's just so absurd how they're treating it. It has nothing to do with, who I am or what they think of me or anything like you should not do this to anyone in this manner, especially someone who is the number one ELO player who's top eighted two pro tours in a row, who was right outside of your competitive system, who just posted something trying to help people. Like it just seems absurd to Mm -hmm. me. So I don't, I don't really understand why they wouldn't reply to me. And if what you're saying is true, like they want a name at this point, it seems like that wouldn't really make sense because if they've seen anything and they've seen what I've told them, it's so widespread. I don't know from anyone directly in the leagues. Like that's not actually going to get them yeah. anywhere. So it's just like they're being spiteful or making like making an example, right. or they're just like not looking at it for some reason. I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm just guessing at all these things. But nothing really makes sense to me, to be honest. It seems like the longer they wait, the worse it is for them. But at the same time, it, you know, they're just hoping it goes away, I guess. But every day I'm getting like people, every time they tweet something, multiple people respond, like any of the magic <laughs> accounts, like unban Austin, yeah. why won't you say anything? And I don't know if that's ever going to stop unless they at least make some statement or tell me something. If you had to take an educated guess, what do you think will happen next for you? Yeah, you know, my guess was that they would say something today. I was, I heard from somebody that they... On the Mondays, right? Yeah. Monday, yeah, yeah, that they like, they go for they meet about this stuff on Mondays. So I was thinking that today I would get an email or they would post something publicly, which for most big bands or bands like this, they've always posted something publicly. Like somebody leaked the God book, which was a big deal. They, they, you know, they posted about that. Yuya got banned for cheating. Like they, he was in the NPL. They posted about that. Well, me, it's like, okay, this guy's an outsider to them still. Sure. I top eighted the last two pro tours and won a grand prix this year, but that doesn't mean anything like to them. I'm not in their leagues. 
I don't have that big of a following. Maybe they think like they don't need to, they don't need to post about it. So that maybe they'll just email me and say like something like, you know, your appeal has been denied. If you would like to appeal in the future, whatever, like you're saying, they want a name. Why would they not respond with something like that? Like it's been denied. You need to give us pertinent information. If that's really what they wanted, it seems to me like they're just dragging it out, trying to make me an example, make me miss these pro tours. Hope I go away. Hope people forget that, you know, they canceled the rival stuff. I'm not in rivals. Ha ha. I'll just shut up and go away. Like that, that just, that's what it seems like to me, but it's mostly just guessing at this point. I have no idea. If you had to guess how, how long do you think it will be until they unban you? If, if ever. Yeah, that's a good question. Like it just, again, it seems like there's not much upside to banning me for life. It's just going to constantly get them to be haggled by people that I don't even know as well as all of my friends and me. Like it could lead to me wanting to try to do something about it. Like they took my magic online account. They took my magic arena account without telling me Mm -hmm. and there's no precedent for being banned for something like this. There's been much worse things that people have done. And I I also don't think I broke any rules in the COC at all. And so it just Mm -hmm. seems like something that is dangerous for them. And the upside of banning me is like what, that I'll just like shut up and like, Maybe people will not want to post things like that from the Discord. But again, it was something that was just so little harm, if any, at all. Yeah. And it was just like, it just it just doesn't make much sense to me. So I don't know what to make of it. So that's the thing I know about you just from talking today and also from, from before is that I know you love competitive magic. So, I mean, describe for me how you feel. Like, just not knowing when you can play in competitive events again or even fire up arena again yeah it really sucks i mean i try not to worry about it because there's not much i can really do at this point but yeah it's it's really really brutal and it kind of hasn't sunk in yet like it would be a lot more frustrating if i knew that the next rpt was coming up and these points mattered and i was trying to get into rivals but because the announcement was so deflating about how like okay they ignored me they canceled my points these pro tours don't have points. It's like at this point, you know, I'm, I can't play magic right now, which I, in quarantine, I haven't been playing a lot anyway. It sucks that they're taking this money from me and these pro tours from me. But if they don't unban me in the foreseeable future, I'm going to miss a PT final and an RPT. And it's extremely unfair and messed up in my opinion. And, um, and yeah, it's like, again, they're just trying to like make me go away. So it kind of sucks because there's nothing I can do. They have all the leverage, like you're saying, but it doesn't make me feel like immediately, like I have to do something. I need to run and do whatever I can and beg to get unbanned because it's not that big of a deal. But if they do just like never answer me and keep me banned and cause like some big turmoil fight where they want to keep me banned forever for this, like something so small, it would, yeah, it would be devastating. I mean, my girls, all three of my girls, I would like to teach how to play magic, especially my oldest Mary. I think she's going to like the game and would like to play. But if I'm banned, it's like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to feel as happy to be like trying to teach her magic. So that, that would suck for sure. But it does seem unlikely to me that they would life, like just lifetime ban me for this. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I'm, I'm optimistic that I won't be lifetime banned, but at the same time, I don't want to, I don't really like to talk like that because I think it's like completely absurd that I was ever banned in the first place and that they haven't responded to me in eight days. So I like, you know, if they come out and say, Oh, you're banned for one year. Like I think it would be like an absolute travesty and I would be like extremely upset, but what can I do? Mm -hmm. They, like you said, they have all the leverage and what they do 
is whatever they want. So what can I really do? I, I, I don't know if anybody believes, I, I hope you don't believe that it's a lifetime ban. I think it's one of those things where they're just internally trying to figure out what is the best response. And they've got burned on a couple of things already, not related to this particular issue. And so, well, I mean, every week there's something that comes out about magic, right? Um, yeah. So they're, they're just trying to make sure that they cross their T's and dot their I's. So I, I do have faith that you will be reinstated. The question is what, how bad of a aftertaste you have in your mouth and like how, how much more you want to have to do with OP and competitive magic. That, that's my next question is like, let's say that you got unbanned tomorrow, right? Yep. Does this change anything for you or how you look at the game or look at OP? That's a good question. So like, you know, again, I'm obviously frustrated that they did this, but it's not like I'm going to take it personal and be so upset about it if they would unban me. Like I would just, other people are saying like, oh, it doesn't matter. They need to like publicly apologize and say it was messed up and all this stuff. And it's like, that would be nice. But if they just like... But if you look at past behavior, that's not going to happen. Yeah, exactly. But if they just unbanned me, or said like, you know, I'm banned for however long, but let me play in these pro tours coming up by saying like, you know, you were banned for a few weeks or something and they realized they made a mistake. I already missed the the arena open on Saturday. At this point that they didn't say something today, I think this is unlikely. But if they did that, I would not, you know, I would not be upset. I would be treating Magic the same. I would play these pro tours. I would try my hardest in them. But with COVID and the way that they're treating next year and saying everything's going to be a season by season basis, I'm no longer going to be like going all in or going after getting into rivals i'm just going to be like playing as much as i feel like maybe streaming when i can the formats that i want to play and go from there but if they keep me banned for these pro tours or they give me like some longer ban like they say it's going to be a year or six months or whatever then i'm just not going to play at all and then maybe you know in a year or two years or whatever if i start teaching my girls i'll do it or if something changes and magic it's like way better they put much more money in and the new sets are great and they hire new people and everything changes then of course i'll come back at that point i'm not going to say like i'll never play again but it, you know if they are acting like it's oh trying to send some message but really they're just like taking away these pro tours for me because they can it's it's really gonna you know it's really gonna affect me in a way that makes me just not want to deal with it at all and just like go play the other games there's a lot of other new games out but yeah, at the end of the day, I love Magic, and I would want to. I want to play, but I'm not gonna let them just like push me around and then come back like begging. I, I don't know. It just does it? Just feels right. weird. Oh, totally. I mean, Magic's been such a big part of your life and my life and a lot of people's lives. So it's it's like you have to separate the game from OP, right? Like the game itself is still good enough that we still want to be involved despite despite all of this. Yeah, exactly. I yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. If you could go back in time two or three weeks, like, is there anything that you might do differently? Um, maybe a few things like whenever, whenever they, whenever they emailed me originally, if I would have known it was, I was under some investigation, I would have responded differently. Like, uh, the way I responded was to just tell them how I feel about OP and tell them like, look, I think your request is ridiculous, but if you want my help, this is what you should do. I would have been more straightforward about things, whatever. But then um, once they banned me, I think like the way I responded to how how, I sh how I'm trying to appeal would also be slightly differently, knowing that they're just like somehow think it's okay to just like not answer and just leave it be for however long it's been. 
So I probably would have just responded differently to both of their emails slightly, basically just because there would be a greater chance that they talk to me or unban me or whatever. That's that's really it. But as far as like sharing the post, uh, I think it was the right thing to do. I was not like I, – I, I had no qualms about it. I didn't think it was something that was against the rules. I didn't think it was going to hurt anybody. I still think that it didn't hurt anybody. And so, no, like I wouldn't change any of that. And there's really not much I would change besides maybe a few of the details in, in the emails I sent. No, that's that's totally fair. And in fairness to you, the the initial email asking you to cooperate did not talk about the repercussions if you did not cooperate exactly the way that they wanted you to cooperate. So that that's 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 very clear. Yeah, of course. And it was like it was by a support rep and it wasn't signed by anyone. And I was it was not clear at all that I was under any investigation by anyone. Like getting banned was not even something that even crossed my mind when replying to that email. I didn't think that was even a thing that could ever be considered. And it, again, like we haven't really harped on it a lot, but to me, it seems completely absurd and like something that they would just never want to do. But they just did it. And yeah, there's been some backlash. But again, the rivals in NPL and these people with the biggest voices are either not allowed to say anything or just don't want to get involved. And then like you said, because it's me, some of them think like, oh, I'm just not going to touch it or, you know, maybe he did something else. I'm, I don't really know the whole story. I'm not going to get involved. So I'm just like not even getting support from all the people at the top when again, it affected them. So the rivals in NPL might even be frustrated that I posted that because it's like showing that there's been leaks and stuff. So it's just a ridiculous and tough spot and it is what it is. Through this whole thing, like when I say this whole thing, your ban. Yep. I, I think you talked about some of the things that you were disappointed with in terms of the community feedback uh, from some of the pros. But has there been something about this that has made you happy or like pleasantly surprised you in some way from the community in terms of feedback? Oh, yeah. I mean, absolutely. So like so much of the support has been positive. I've gotten so many emails and tweets and new people following me and DMing me. And obviously all of my friends like are just saying how absurd it is and fighting for me and, you know, posting and emailing. I've gotten so many people that have emails, but again, they're getting responded to where wizards comes back and says like, we really take this stuff seriously. We're going to escalate it to the appropriate teams, but you will not be hearing back on this issue or something. And that's all they get. And you know, I haven't heard anything and it doesn't seem like it's done anything. They haven't said anything in eight days, but what you said might be true. They're just trying to figure out the best way to respond and they have to, you know, they have to do something at some point, but they're just making sure they, they don't screw it up even worse than they did originally. But um, as far as the the negative responses, there haven't been very many. It was just the, the frustrating thing of the pros pushing down the advantage, which makes me just seem like, you know, I was just like leaking something for fun or there was no reason to leak it. It just it like minimizes what I did. It makes it seem like maybe there's some chance what I did was like wrong or stupid or whatever. So it's, it's for that's frustrating. But then... The only other stuff is people like commenting, sure, he didn't have an NDA, but there's got to be consequences for posting this information and stuff when it's like, I didn't post any official documents. I didn't know that this was some super secret confidential information that Wizards wanted to protect so greatly when they told 80 people and like they all told all their friends and I'm just told by some random guy who just told 30 people who aren't in the NPL arrivals. Like I had no idea that this was something they cared so much about. And at the end of the day, I keep saying it, but it didn't harm it didn't harm anyone. Like the only people it could have harmed is the NPL and rivals because it like hurts them from getting future information, but their Discord was already canceled 
and they're the ones getting the competitive advantage. So it should be like it should be told to everyone. It's just like I don't know. It's really bad yeah. look for them, I think. But and, and talking through this with you, it just feels like a fascinating case study in just human motivation because uh, on two fronts, right? First of all, you're going to tell people your friends if you think that if you have some kind of guilt or you feel like you're a vantage and you you want your friends to not be disadvantaged for some kind of competitive event that you're you're all participating in that's one that's one aspect of it the other aspect of it is like going back to the spirit of ndas and non-disclosures there's like the actual sign ndas and what's written on paper but there's also like you should expect people to leak things if they're incentivized to do so right like that's 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 like the heart of it like you know there's one thing about like having lawyers tell people like okay you shouldn't reprint cards or you shouldn't do this but like people are going to do what their heart tells them to do a lot of the time and i think i think that that was that was the case in your case cuz you felt some kind of responsibility but it's also the case from like how the leaks happened in the first place so it's like you know don't do something and expect a different result from what makes like common human nature natural sense to do you know yeah exactly i agree with, i agree with everything you just said that's kind of what i'm what i'm getting at with it as well I was hoping today when we recorded that there would be some kind of uh, post-mortem, but we'll definitely add on something if something happens to you in the near future. And I, I am confident that something will happen to you in the near future that will will help you. Uh, I have no inside information. This is just a feeling. <laughs> sure. Sure you don't. <laughs> yeah. Be careful. Yeah, I heard it from a little <laughs> I heard it from a little bird. You're going to be unbanned in, in two hours. Yeah. I mean, now. if they but, uh, uh, if they do unban me, then it might be you next, I guess. Yeah, they're going to be asking me some questions like, who told you that Austin was going to be unbanned? Yeah, uh, yeah. exactly. Uh, but any any last, uh, you know, any any shout outs you want to you want to make to anybody or any, or anything just to just to kind of wrap things up? Yeah, I guess um, first to Cyrus, who who he told me that he was, you know, a mutual friend with you and he he suggested that you talk to me. And then, um, you know, everyone on my team, um, team 7% and then all these people backing me up. People I don't even know emailing me and on Twitter, and then I guess just to to my family, my wife for being being the best and always propping me up. All of my disabilities, like you know, my ADD and not being able to to be up to things all the time. She's always there to pick up the slack. So I would say that's really it. Awesome. Well, Austin, I wish you the best, truly, and uh, I hope to talk again with you very soon at the. Uh, conclusion of this uh this incident all right yeah i really appreciate it james it was it was really great and um i'm, I'm happy to happy to talk to you anytime and yeah i as well i hope they say something soon but um we'll see thank you for listening to this episode of humans and magic to get more information about the show and to join the mailing list please visit humansandmagic.com. And don't forget, the Humans and Magic book is now available on Amazon for both paperback and Kindle. We'll see you next time.